Yo, 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 what's up, everybody? Welcome back to Actual Eye Podcast. I'm Chris. I'm DJ. And today we are covering another episode of John Verveke's Awakening from the Meaning Crisis. This is a groundbreaking series. It has to do with everything going on in the world today, our loss of sense of meaning, the ongoing social breakdown that is happening, uh, the constant continuing division and fragmentation of our culture. And alongside of that, Verveke has been tracing a revolution in interest in mindfulness practices and blah, blah, blah. Um, let me get us live on Facebook before I go too much further. Word. Yeah. Um, and while we're going live, I'm going to make an announcement. Uh, in the next week or two, uh, you won't have to be dealing with us being all like blurred out and dark. Um, oh, yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah. Because yeah. we are getting whited out or we're getting contrasted with the yeah. whited out background it, it, right it's now. very nice to see the background but since we can't afford the really 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 nice uh led uh you know uh whatever studio lights and all that stuff um uh it's it, it looks pretty bad right now but as the uh lead grip of this organization if you don't know what a grip is a grip is basically the guy during a show that you know runs the cables and you know flies the ropes and does all that crap so i'm the guy doing all this uh we're, i'm gonna move us to the other side of my uh sunroom and i'll be able to make some modifications there and uh it'll yeah, yeah. look a little bit more professional a little bit better every time and for those of you who aren't watching you probably don't care you're like i just listen as long as the sound sounds good right uh, that's you know but so yeah, bear we with us for the next guys. few weeks. Uh, it, it worked really good in the winter time when eight o'clock was really dark outside, and all we had to deal with was the reflections off the windows. But now yeah. it's, you know, we live in a part of the world where we actually have not a f- super drastic change between you know summer and winter. Oh, and we have daylight savings time here too. So it's like yeah, there was that change. But uh, yeah, we're gonna make everything look a little bit better. It is what it is. It is what it is. But we appreciate you guys hanging in with us. And uh, the visuals will definitely get better as the night grows darker. So this uh, first, you know, 20, 30 minutes is going to be a recap of our previous episode. Then we're going to dive into episode 33 of Awakening from the Meaning Crisis, the spirituality of relevance, realization, wonder, awe, mystery, and sacredness. Super stoked for this episode. Really been looking forward to this one. So our Facebook peeps here. Facebook peeps are in the house. Can I start start the notes from last week's episode? Uh, Yeah, feel free, man. Feel free. So last week's episode, John Verveke was trying to lay out a example of a plausible naturalistic account of um, relevance, realization, relevance. Um, Yes. Yeah. Excuse me. God, this is why we call it RR because if you say it and listen to it too many times, it just starts. Yes. (laughs) Relevance. Because I started using the word revelation a lot. And now I'm throwing you off. Revelation, realization. (laughs) Revelance, realization. Yes. (laughs) Um, And in last episode, he was basically given the brain its due. So we're we're learning about how the brain works as a machine. Um, Yes. So uh, let's see. Where's the start of this? Okay. Um, So what your brain is doing um, is it's shifting between... Okay, well, first off, we uh, the episode before last week's episode, we talked about compression and particularization. Um, and compressor, compression is, you know, finding, you know, the average path between a set of um, 
data in the case of the way we um, showed it, you know, plots on a graph. And particularization is the adherence to uh, the more closer adherence to the actual data points. So one is more efficient and one is more resilient. Well, your brain is doing this. So when it's in its compression mode, it is synchronizing. It's the aha moment of synchronization. Um, and then when it's in its um, particularization mode, it's the asynchrony um, as far as neurons firing. So this is firing, synchronization of firing and the asynchronization of firing of neurons. And that's uh, a, what he called the neural avalanche. Um, and uh, it, it's basically uh, your brain evolving its fittedness to any given situation. It's breaking everything up, and then it's getting particular again, and then it's breaking up, and taking the new information, then it's getting particular again. Yeah, and so the asynchronization um, and the desynchronization. Yeah, and so we're introduced to a term called self-organizing criticality. Um, and uh, a man named Perbach came up with the example of um, like an hourglass with sand. So, you know, there's random variations in the sand, you know, the gravity, the air pressure, the shape of the sand, the size of the pieces of sand, and it's falling down, it's creating a pile. But at some point, it reaches this critical phase um, where this, it can only get as tall as it can, and then it breaks down and widens out. And this breakdown, this self-organized, this, this, excuse me, this criticality moment um, of order breaks down and the breaking down um introduces an emergent quality that wasn't there before in this case you know more of a base for more sand to then build the top and then break down again and then build the top and break down again and in your brain your neurons are doing this where it's building up it's synchronizing in one part and then asynchronizing and then synchronizing and asynchronizing and synchronizing and asynchronizing back and forth very fast um like thousands of times a second fast. Y yeah, like like stupid fast. I'll just put it that way. Um, and um, so there, you could say that um, relevance, 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 <laughs> relevance. Okay, fun. so R R relevance realization R R um, is associable with self-organizing criticality and if we remember general intelligence is also uh has a strong relationship to rr so general intelligence and your ability to um go through this self-organizing criticality of synchronizing asynchronizing synchronizing asynchronizing is a okay we're thinking it's a good marker for general intelligence and by general so, intelligence you mean self-aware self-reflective yeah, poetic like yeah, what we're trying to bring about in ai right now and a general problem solver the yeah. ability to 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 adapt and solve many different criteria of problem because um, there's a big difference between artificial intelligence and yeah, yeah. what would be artificial general yeah, intelligence, which yeah, is trying to emulate yeah. what happens in our brains, yes. which we haven't gotten to yet with AI. Yeah, and, that, and that's that's little g for general intelligence. Um, and if 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 we're right about this relationship, um, mm -hmm. we can use we can use these insights and this way of thinking, and then experimentation for um many different applications and in, including the spiritual 
That's right. So that was the first section before This our can break. help us understand the spiritual, yeah. Yeah. the higher consciousness experiences that happen uh, that are tracked and trained for through the ancient wisdom traditions of our past. So there's Buddhism, there's mystical yeah, Christianity, yeah, yeah, yeah. yoga, and so on and so forth. And hopefully this allows to do it in a naturalistic way that's more the nature Mm-hmm. Uh, well, uh, natural in the sense of you can look at it, you can it like the non-mystical, the non-metaphysical, the non, you know, like in, in a way like you can look at the brain, you can watch the brain doing this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you we know, are proving right now in yeah. science that there are higher states of consciousness that people have, and we know through mm-hmm. the literature that this is cross-cultural. But now we know through scientific verification that this is actually happening in people's brains and it is the optimal state for a human being to be able to be in. It's just incredibly rare in modern times. Um, You know, Lao Tzu, who was thousands, a few thousand years ago, he said that thousands of years before him, there were many greats and now they are very rare. Mm -hmm. And, And now we're getting to the point where there's many greats again. Ain't that crazy? Well, I hope so. You know, you got yeah. the, you know, the, the Vervakis, the Schmachtenbergers, the Petersons. That's Peterson's, true, though. Yeah, the, they're starting know, like, to pop out. Yeah, Jordan Hall, yeah, Schmachtenberger, yeah, like, Ian McGilchrist. You know. There's so many incredible enlightening minds out there. Yeah, and, you know, that's just scratching the surface of our small sphere of mm-hmm. influence. But Eckhart you know? Tolle kind of yeah. people. Yeah. I, I picture Verveke as kind of a cross between an Eckhart Tolle and a scientist. I have to say Tolle because that's the most well-known uh, instead of Eckhart Tolle, yeah, yeah. It, yeah. It, is it Tolle or Tolle? Well, I, what is he? It, I think it's Tolle, but but okay. I would I would say somebody like Adyashanti oh, okay. or Muji or other names that people yeah. might not be as familiar with. But you know, in in recent past, we had Ramana Maharshi, mm-hmm. um, you know, Jiddu Krishnamurti, and then you got to really go back and you start seeing people like Buddha and Jesus yeah, Christ yeah. and others like that. And you know, maybe that's not like maybe this is just a. Uh, an emergence of the fact from, excuse me, an emergence from the affordance of mass instant communication too, that we're seeing so many greats pop up because, you know, who's to say that there weren't around the world, a lot of, but they weren't able to communicate as vastly or intercommunicate as, as openly. I won't say as easily because, Oh no. Yeah. used to get killed for it in some places too. You know, yeah, that's why like some people kept it. You know I mean? This is why we took out Martin Luther, not we, but People, yeah. humanity took out Martin Humans. Luther King in recent time. <laughs> yeah. uh, RFK Senior, JFK, people like that, that are calling for peace, and not just peace in our time, but peace for all time, peace for all uh, mankind. Pe- pe- peace as an alt- uh, peace as a very good ideal, and peace as the means, not um, merely the goal. Yeah, so, as the ideal. So you were talking about the brain, how it cycles through the mm-hmm. self-organizing criticality. It synchronizes, then it desynchronizes, and then it mm-hmm. reframes and reconfigures itself. So we see the brain doing this kind of data compression, data compression, then it complexifies and refits itself. So they're constantly moment to moment, the brain is doing relevance realization to refit itself to the environment. So this is like an evolutionary process. And it does this on many levels in a highly recursive, complex, dynamic refittedness. So it's constantly, when we say recursive, it's feeding back in on itself. It's reinforming itself. constantly on many many different levels at once so it's highly plausible that the self-organizing criticality that 
you were talking about that Praveki talked about in last episode is happening in the brain. We're trying to track down how does relevance realization happen in the brain scientifically on this episode that we're about to get into. We're going to go into more the spiritual side of that. That's where this really starts to get intriguing. Okay. It starts to get very profound. So if, if this is right, there's major implications such as the ways to objectively measure what's happening in the brain during higher states of consciousness. Yes. So instead of just being a mystical thing, you, it's actually... Um, it's still mystical. It, well, it's still mystical, but you're actually able to like graph it, see it. We're able to prove that it's yeah. happening. We don't yeah. know what or why necessarily, but we can actually, at least... Uh, enough to experiment further and get good results that are, are scientific and not learn how to precipitate it. yes that's right learn how to precipitate yeah. it better to cultivate it better yeah. in our lives and to help all of these various secular and religious spiritual ideas start to come into conversation yeah. in a non-adversarial way they can actually start to understand each other now so if if this is this would be the the firing of the neurons, like this, what we just talked about. So he the moves firing and the wiring. Yeah, yeah. So he moves on to the wiring, and we get into graph theory or network theory, mm-hmm. which is a series of nodes and connections. And he gave three examples. One is a um, your um, your regular network, which is a circular network, and each node is double connected to the one ones next to it. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. and then, um, which is highly resilient, but not very efficient. And then at the other end of the spectrum, which is very efficient, but not resilient is random. It's random. These lines are going all over the place. So yeah. what the, 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 it's not a neat, clean, neat, clean shape anymore. Yeah. The optimal connections, the, the, the optimal, um, the optimal network in- would be the small world network where it's your circular network, but there's a cross or two that allow cross connections from non-directly linked nodes, That's but right. not too many where it becomes overly cumbersome. Right. You know, so it's, right. it's the optimal balance. Yes. It's the um, optimal amount of both. It optimizes yeah. for efficiency and for resiliency. And he used the terms, um, or the term, uh, path different. Uh, so mean path difference, mm-hmm. Ra- you know, random has a low mean path difference as in to go from one point to another, it, it's less less of a path you have to go, whereas a higher mean path difference is to go from one point, there, it goes higher. That's right. The small world network is where the brain tends to go because it doesn't want to have a bunch of very small paths all over the place, mm-hmm. you know, because if like one of them breaks down and that was just a main node that went off to other place, now it's screwed. Yeah, it's not very resilient. Um, yeah. But you also don't want to have to like go all the way around the freaking circle mm-hmm. to get to the point. You yeah, know, that's so just not regular... an efficient usage of, of space, nor time, nor energy. No, yeah. So um, the regular node network, lots of redundancy, but it's super resilient. The yeah. small world, uh, I'm sorry, the random is very efficient. Yeah, because the lines are all over the place, but it's not yeah. very resilient. Yeah, the small world is the optimal amount of both. Yeah, so our networks are constrained in functionality by their own traits, by by the trade offs, by or by these yeah. trade offs. Yeah, in by fact, the, yeah. as well. Yes, um, and that's that's the the brain would tend then to create small world networks, yeah. and we have increasing evidence of this. So sure. it's, this is not conclusive, but it's cutting edge theory. Um, we're seeing design arguments for AI that are starting to cor- correlate with working memory studies of salience networks in our in our brains. So we have a plausible, plausi- uh, plausibly, let me 
figure out how that, to state that, this. The plausible way to increasingly explain relevance realization, yeah. the firing and the wiring. Up. Yeah. So to continue on with the wiring, there's, uh, Ho, I think Hobar was his name. Um, and he had the idea of hit, uh, efficient hub networks and saliency networks. Mm. Um, and this wiring end is also a um, scale invariant self-organizing system just like i didn't say it before but just like the um, firing end is a scale invariant and as in you find it at any scale or many scales or it doesn't change between it doesn't different levels it doesn't change depending on excuse me it doesn't change how in its functionality by changing its scale so it doesn't matter what scale you're on it's going to look pretty much the same mm-hmm. from you know inside your brain all the way up like i've been playing a uh, theo town which is a uh, like a sim city kind of thing and you know building your road networks and all that stuff you find really quick uh that you know the most efficient is not necessarily the most uh <laughs> optimal or the you mm-hmm. know most yeah. sturdy it, it ends up causing problems and you yeah. get traffic jams all over the place so that's the big scale you know that's multiple humans in a space scale mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. It all happens all the way down to our nervous system, all the way up to the complex uh, layers of the brain. And this is what gives us the structural, functional organization, the functionality and the phenomenology of consciousness. Yeah. And many of the best accounts of relevance realization are showing it to be fundamental to human consciousness. Yeah. So we're seeing this relationship between consciousness and self-organizing criticality yes so the yeah. brain's capacity to be able to break up and then reparticularize. yeah so that binocular rivalry the brain yeah. goes asynchrony yeah we got into the, the 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 binocular rivalry the, the example you got is something called the necker cube which is just a cube but the outlines and you can look through and depending on how you look at it one side seems like the front and then it flips to the you other side seeming it. like yeah. the front well um, and that's an example right there of how you can change that view of what's relevant to you, yeah. how it shows itself. So the brain synchronizes um, and, uh, and then goes into syn- asynchrony, and then it does it again, and then it yeah. does it again. It does this flipping, and then there's uh, Montiatal. Monti- um, oh, yeah, Montiatal. Yes. Montiatal um, noted um, that in uh, general anesthesia, like when you're coming out of con or going out of consciousness, um, your neural networks break down into its local networks. Yes. And then when you're coming out or coming out of anesthesia into consciousness, it moves back into small world networks. So what it's doing here, um, and this goes over into, um, Dixon and, uh, Stephen and Dixon, Stephen and Dixon, Mm -hmm. um, which they're, their goal was to measure how much entropy is in the mind. And they noticed that as entropy, um, as entropy drops, the behavior organizes mm-hmm. and well, that's, um, self-organizing criticality. Yep. So particularly with the, the, the anesthesia thing. So what happens is, uh, shelling, um, brought to our attention that small, um, about small world networks, you go from a regular network, which is, you know, the least efficient but most resilient mm-hmm. uh, system, uh, then there is this aha insight, you know, flash of insight, and now that is the moment that you get a cross connection. 
Yes. Um, yes. So what your brain is doing when you're coming out of anesthesia, it's going from that good, you know, solid network, and then you're coming through and you're piecing thing. Your brain is literally piecing itself back together. The way you know, maybe not exactly the same way it was before, but you know, and it's it's funny watching people come out of anesthesia because like you know sometimes you say some funny stuff or whatever, or something that doesn't make sense, but it's just your brain trying to re- real realize, you know, yeah. like the little kid, is this real? It's trying to reorganize Remember itself that? back to, yeah. back to reality. So yeah. So as the brain passes out of consciousness, mm-hmm. we lose the smart world networks. As we come back, we regain them. We notice that entropy increases as well, right before the moment of insight. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, th- this is what we're recognizing that, this is how the state of awe comes about as well. Yeah, that that ah that that moment of aha, ooh, uh, like the second moment of aha. You know, there's the, there's the original aha of your brain synchronizing, and then the the aha again when it synchronizes again in a more efficient <laughs> fashion. You know, and right. has a better a better connection, and it's just like there's the oh and oh. You know, that that kind of thing. Um, so, so revolving from a regular network to a small world network yeah. in the moment of insight, we lose some resiliency, but we gain massive new optimization. Yeah. So the self-organizing criticality breaks up the regular network information flow, and it refits as a new small world network. Yeah. So you have this sudden enhancement of the small, small world network that leads to alteration and optimization of our fittedness to prop to the problem space that we're engaging with. Yeah. So we're seeing a ton of convergence here and we're seeing that this process of relevance realization, it's textured, it's dynamically flowing, it's salient tracking. It's, Oh, and then we get into the framing, figuring, foregrounding and features. Yeah. So this is, uh, so we Texture, work. dynamical, flowing, saliency network. So this this is coming out of um, so through salience landscape, in which is perspectival yeah. knowing, so, which well, affords uh, us a landscape. Hold on, real quick before before you just jump into that. This is where Hobar system, the efficient networking system, or salience networks. This is the the spot coming out of that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the salience landscaping is the nexus of consciousness and higher order relevance realization. So yeah, you know, like you're. This is a complex part to go over okay. that I would highly recommend people just review the previous video on this part because we're going to take too long going over. Well, it. let me let me let me go, go through, go through this there a little bit. Yeah. So the the core of our participatory knowing is our featureization, foregrounding, figuring, and framing. Mm-hmm. That is our participation because you're participating in finding the features foregrounding which figures figuring out what's going on then framing it all Mm -hmm. um and they all well they have a you know they like you know you'll featureization and foreground and then figure it out but then once you figure it out you see more features and then okay well you can frame it again and it all self loops back yeah and then your perspectival knowing is is your salience landscape from your perspective what are you seeing that is most apparent um and then you you go from that into affordance landscaping. Well, what can you do with these salience features? What what yes. becomes obvious? Um, it's uh, affordance obviation is the word he used. That's right. So you have the salience landscaping that gives you the perspectival knowing, a dynamic situational awareness 
that opens the affordance landscape. Now mm-hmm. you can participate in your relevance realization will mm-hmm. help you by featuring, then foregrounding, then figuring and framing things for your consciousness. Am I understanding that right? Uh, you've got it reversed, re- reversed but uh, well, it... I think it's what's well, happening both ways at once. Anyway, yeah, so it, 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 the way he wrote it out and everything, it's it's a bit reversed, but it's mm-hmm. it's it's all they are creating a well. They're a, all recursive. A, a small world network mm-hmm. within themselves. Mm-hmm. So the procedural knowing um, is act. You have um, acting. Uh, well, active mode. No act. Um, oh 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 oh. The so ACT. within your Lance landscape, you have centrality which is the hereness and the hereness and what is relevant to you what is important the things that you import that are mm-hmm. relevant to you and then you have That's a dimension of the aspects yeah okay. so okay um the perspectival end um I forgot about that little so thing. there's the hereness there is the perspective and then there's the nowness which is the temporality um yes. which is um uh, which is the the realm of uh, that uh, like Kairos lives in you know, okay, at the right so, moment in time. So the aspectuality is dynamic the sense timing. Of, okay, that's right. I forgot about this little uh, what yeah. do you call that ACT. Aspectuality is the sense of oneness, togetherness. Yeah. yeah, this is what gives us an account of why this is happening in our brains or why people have this experience. Okay, and the temporality yeah. is the nowness. Yeah, that's it's the, time. the when it's happening. Okay. And then the... Um, Centrality is the here-ness. Yeah. You are here now. So the brain is... Doing this. Doing this. And that's all three of them. Expectualization. Yeah. yeah. So your brain is here and now doing this thing. That's the the three... As, uh, the, well, what do you yeah, call it? Yeah, and the doing this thing is, the, is like... That sense of togetherness, right? Um, that the, the aspectuality is uh, well. I have it written here, a, a little weird, but yeah, the togetherness. Um, it's an enacted perspectival knowing, and it's constantly unfolding as well. You know, you're learning more about where, like, when you are, where you are, and what you're doing as you do it. Yes. Um, so it's con- constantly unfolding. And our relevance realization is showing us what things are important to us, what yeah. things that we need to import into our bodies, be it food, be yeah. it information, yeah. the things that yeah. become relevant to our minds yeah. that appear at the forefront of our salience network. Mm-hmm. We're recognizing this is something I need or something I want. Yeah. This is where the relevance plays in our consciousness. So it needs to we so once again we get back to it needs to be an auto poetic being. It needs to yeah. be self aware, self conscious for it to be able to act through relevance realization well, and we've been kind of taking this you know idea of salience landscape kind of for granted but like all this what what we just discussed as far as like you know the here now and uh basically here now and aspects uh mm-hmm. who um or the the uh perspectival end that's all within the salience landscape like what you've mm-hmm. made so you're your futurization, foregrounding, figuring, and framing, and then your affordance and everything that feeds back on, or all feeding into this landscape you've created mm, for saliency yes. to help create this landscape mm-hmm. constantly back and forth. Yeah. So it's yeah. you know how do we how do we give a artificial mind a salience landscape that is able to efficient enough yeah. but not too efficient 
Um, yeah, because it's got to be able to update itself while it's informing and, and know and, and know what to care about for updating itself. That's where yes. the autopoetic and caring yeah. about something comes in. It's like, well, how do you make a robot care? Well, I don't know. I, I, it's like, got to learn how to co-creatively engage with its environment, understand how its interactions with yeah. its, with its environment, the repercussions yeah. of those interactions, what things should be important to it, and why. Mm-hmm. And you can only do that in relation. So we we have learned that altered states of consciousness, as we were speaking up about before, are linked to very deep changes in consciousness that are profound, profoundly meaningful to us. So we're recognizing here that relevant realization is not merely cold calculus or computation happening in the brain. It's about how our body is making risky choices with limited metabolic time resources, limited metabolic and time resources. Yeah. So we're also all, it's always coming from an aspect of caring. There's a caring aspect to this well and, uh, and this is where he brings up heidegger and dreyfus and how we're gonna get into what's that most in relevant to you that we're about to get into now during a fire in an office is different than what is most relevant to you in a fire in your house because of what you care about in the right. office you might care about well i left my purse in there or some important paperwork in a house fire well i care about my wife or care about my kid I care about some paperwork that's hard to replace. My dog. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the way he introduced so, this idea to us because he was like, our brains can recognize relevant connections between very many different objects. So he showed the example of a bunch of markers. White, we can yeah. tell that these are all uh, dry, dry erase, dry erase markers, markers yeah. you know, because of the markings on them and their similarities. So our brain automatically groups them together. It knows to do that. Those are dry erase markers. Even though how you... does the brain know? So, what what is the connection? And then Verveke just asks us blatantly without telling us about the fire story. He's just like, so what's the connection between um, your computer, your phone, uh, your wife, and your children, your pets, yeah, um, and and burning stuff, and your birth certificate? What's the yeah. connection between you know all these disparate things? And it's, well, if you have a fire in your house, if yeah. you just discovered that your house is on fire, these are the first things that are going to come to your mind. So yeah. your brain is just automatically doing this, constantly creating or use, util, utilizing its relevance realis, realization to optimize its interaction with the world, with reality. Mm-hmm. And we're talking all about this for a reason. Relevance realization is central to our understanding of human consciousness so we're starting to get closer to understanding how human consciousness occurs and how it may start to occur in agi in artificial it's intelligence kind of like uh rr is like the center of a cross between our non-scientific understanding of the mind and we did call that like the traditional wisdom and the scientific movement and it's this thing that connects them well spiritual, what is spirit, what is the, the realization well. of relevance yes you well because I, I would consider the the line of like wisdom traditions and stuff to be the spiritual line and then oh yeah you, you the said science, science twice i think okay. so yeah. yeah so you'd have you know your one line which is you know the old school wisdom practices and the way mm-hmm. we understood the mind and then the other axis would be the scientific end and we're rr is right in the middle, in the of middle of both of them yeah because, you know, the old philosophers that didn't have the understanding that the brain is doing this thing with neurons and all this stuff, we're still talking about what is relevant and real 
in which times mm-hmm. and you know like we have, to and, have, we have to be able to figure out how to determine what is real and relevant in the world today especially in a time of such fragmentation yeah, and breaking down so if we can find a way to do that that is verifiable by science then we might have done something extraordinary especially since we're going to also be raising the import of wisdom in our times mm-hmm. this is also going to help us understand wisdom and how we may cultivate wisdom yeah. so that's the end of my notes for that first episode right on yeah all right guys well i think we've covered just about everything we're about to go into one of the deepest episodes yet we're going to go into the spiritual side of relevance realization now and we're going to Get, Ooh, bust out your crystals, man. Burn some sage. No, yeah, no, beyond all that. But we are going to definitely like dive deep. I'm spiritual, and they're like, oh, God. It's like, no, I don't I don't. Yeah, that. Let's, but, you know. let's demystif- or de-fantasize the spiritual here, and let's let's get down into some deep, legitimate or, mysticism. Or de-fetishize it, you know, because it seems like spirituality is just something to be worn anymore. Very much you know? so. Yeah, or well, it's just another ego trap for us oftentimes. Yeah. And we're all going to go through that on this pathway. Is right, that we're going to become over-identified with our new ideas. You and can then just we're going to imagine. Realize, oh, I'm, I'm putting on a new mask again. I don't yeah, need that. Yeah. Because, like, you know, as far as, like, yeah, I'm using the word, you know, defetishize in the sense of, like, you can imagine, like, yeah, the spiritual hippie guy, you know, and they're always wearing crystals and natural fibers and stuff and, and making it very obvious they do yoga and all that stuff. It's like, it's, 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 it's a skin suit you're wearing spirituality is not something that you wear it's something you participate in that's right you know it's um you know do i participate in my shirt well no not really like i wear my shirt my shirt participates in the things i do but i don't participate in my shirt yeah you know are are you feeling the oneness of the world around you are you feeling your intrinsic interconnection with everything and everyone around you if you're feeling really broken off and separate and hopeless and do you act as if you actually believe it as well mm-hmm. you know because there's the you can believe you can believe it and be like yeah we're all connected but screw everybody that would not be an acting yeah like yeah. acting and it's like and even it's like well you know i don't really believe it you know spirituality and all that stuff in god but you know i'm gonna act that way because it seems you know i'm gonna act in the way that the spirituality dictates to gain so that's wisdom. more of an agnostic approach which is a yeah because it, it seems approach. it seems to work i don't believe yeah. in all the mumbo i don't know jumbo, if i believe in it but i'm gonna act I, as though it exists well you know like i'm shaman, gonna do my best and try and live up to these higher you ideals. know shamanism you know there's plenty of people that you know get into i will call it like neo-shamanism and taking entheogens and such that well we'll call them agnostics but you know they used to call themselves like atheists they don't mm-hmm. believe in and they're like yeah you know i talked to space aliens but they weren't space aliens they were just in my head but still gained a lot of insight by doing it mm-hmm. so there's you know there's two ends you can you just act as it like what jordan peterson said about his faith if you will and still nobody really knows because he just says he acts as if he believes there is a god yeah He's had some pretty profound experiences. There's one so episode that's you, of that's the, all you can really do. Yeah, is just the Duncan Trussell podcast. So there's yeah. one episode of the Duncan Trussell podcast where he's talking to Jordan Peterson, and Jordan Peterson talks about a couple of really profound experiences that he's had, like dream-like mm-hmm. experiences. And uh, 
I'll have to look for that and reshare that up on the actual Facebook page because it was really, actually very profound. So yes, he acts as though it does exist, but I'm pretty sure that deep down he's almost certain. He's just afraid what? to admit it openly. Well, and also, because I, if think, you I think his, the stories point, his, his point was it doesn't matter whether I believe no, it, that God exists or not. it doesn't matter, but... When if you listen to the stories yeah. that he's told, oh, I think Trussell, he, I think he definitely does. He most definitely seems to. But the, the, these are incredibly profound experiences. The point shares. Another point is is just like you know, if you want to help the world too, you can't say, well, you, you you have to believe. It's like, well, you can't make people believe, but you can show them. It's like, hey, this kind of behavior leads to a better, more rounded life. I think you he's coming from a smart know. angle, considering the times and and the transition that he's been making. Well, it allows you not to be pigeonholed as a crazy Christian. Yeah, um, yeah. It's yeah. so sad that this is what's become of us. We we prejudge everything, and we group people into these super low resolution little sticker labels yeah, right. that are not even close to the actual thing. Um, you know, our understanding of Christianity shouldn't be by those that fail to live up to it. Just like with Buddhism or anything else. Yeah, you know? right. I'm not going to judge. I'm not going to judge Buddhism by the or the value of yoga those by who say, LA yoga. Yeah, you know, per, people yeah, or precisely. Yeah. You know, the, like you can't, you can't. Well, even you know, like any any philosophy or anything, it shouldn't necessarily be judged by the worst of the ones who couldn't live up to it. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not talking about say like communism or fascism or national socialism or anything like that because. The best these pseudo spiritual systems. Well, the best, the people that lived up to it the best murdered millions of people. Right. You know, the best communist was the one with all the power. Anything in the wrong hands, you know, can can be used in a detrimental way. Um, but yeah, there, there's well, it's there's like very little that actually. So with communism, it's like a replacement for religion. That Marxism in general, the cultural oh, sure. Marxism well, that's the, infiltrated. The original here. sin is capitalistic greed, and the way to assu- uh, it, it, the way to free yourself from that sin is to be an active participant in the work. The work will free you from your sins, and I don't mean you can work, hear how religious it already sounds. Yeah, yeah, like and you know you'll notice like. But it doesn't give anyone a real genuine religious experience. It doesn't bring well, about more it, love or respect. It, it'll give them. A, it, it'll man. give them a religious experience. They just don't have. No, 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 no. It won't give them an altered state, a higher state of consciousness, religious experience. I mean. Sure, sure, it does. When people like are having, like you know, it may not be one that's good for you, but they still go through that. They still get riled up, worked up. It's a, yeah, but that's not the religious experience. No, that's a religious. That's that's, that's a shitty. Re, excuse me, a bad religious. Yeah, we're experience. crossing terminology here. When Verveke uses the term religious experience, he's talking about altered states of in higher states of consciousness where the brain is working optimally. Well, no, the, and it's that, more loving, and it's more open. Well, and this and that. that's the idea you're, you're talking about. That's the ideal, but the you can open up the brain and insert bad programming. That's that's uh, there. Well, okay, you're talking about cult like dogmatic well sure but look at not gnosticism gnosticism is a a system in order to induce states like that surrounded by a sapiential group of people that can help mm-hmm. you out the realizations give them a bad trip film with rage film in a community that is pushing them towards self-destruction and destruction of other people it's still a religious experience it's just a crap religion and it doesn't further you and make you any better i don't know if i'd call it a religious experience there's a better it's, term for it i would like to see there. it mapped out in the head but like you know like the 2 minutes of 2 minutes of what is that rage in 1984 
you know, where they all sit there and they have this religious experience. Yeah, I think it's supposed to simulate something that that takes the place of a, a true religious experience. I think the, true religious the, the issue is here is I'm not saying, well, what is true But Verbeke gave, gave it to us in the Higher States of Consciousness episodes yeah, no, and he gave I, us I, all I, of the, the description of what the religious experience is. We're talking about sense of oneness, sense of understanding. Well, sure. You're one with your group of people and you understand them. But what I, I guess what I'm saying is... The true religious experience you understand... I just have a problem with the word true. That's that's my issue with with that. It's it's a bad religious experience, not a true religious experience or not true. It's a bad one because I think... Well, I think we're using physiologic, the term... Physiologically and even methodology, methodologically... It's the same. It's just what are you putting in while you're having that experience? Phenomenologically, it's not the same. It's not the same experience. It's not the same phenomena that's happening. You're having something else that you're having the ideological possession thing happen. And well, people get into mob mentality and, and they well, get into these other things that might substitute in place of religious experience for a time for people. But they're degrading. They're not uplifting. They're I'm, not not saying it, I'm not saying it fulfills the same function in as far as the longevity of the species but as far as so i'd call it a pseudo religious experience i don't think it's a real religious it's experience. just it's just a bad religion it's a it's a religious experience within a bad religion we could say that you know i can agree on that but yeah but, i think he gave us a different term i'm just for ta- i'm just talking previously. about the, the the even the more like mechanical end of it your brain is still going through like it, it, when you walk into a good service at a good church and you get that wow and that overwhelmed feeling it's the same feeling as the initiates and adherence to what we'd call like more of the the cult the the cult ideology and you get that same thing your brain opens up but the paths it you know forms and the understanding its forms are perverted and that's why we're warned in religions about bad religion that is anti-religion we could call it yeah. a, we could call it an anti-religious I would call experience. It anti-religious because it's yeah. not going to have the phenomenology of the actual religious yeah. experience as Verveke describes it when we have but it, but it consciousness works. that it, give us wisdom what well, works like the way that it, twizzlers it, work to satiate your hunger but it's not good for well, you it's it, not real food it, no it works to persecute uncounted millions of people and murder them that was the point. That's the, that sure. was the point of this yeah, religion. Take yeah, it out on the evil yeah, capitalists. Yeah. It worked great. Yeah. It got a lot but, of people to participate. People, if, it's if they were Don't having genuine, genuine religious experiences, then they wouldn't have been experiencing unconditional love for their fellow man, even those with whom they disagree. So they never would have been captured by the ideology. Yeah. That's the real religion. If it wasn't experience. so filled with, and this is this is the scientific term, if it wasn't filled with bullshit. If yes. it wasn't a, it's it's a, it's a sophist version. It's giving you of, a bunch of shit yes. that makes you feel yeah. salient. You're getting a boost yeah. of some nice endorphins because yeah. you're part of a group, yeah. but you're not getting the actual religious experience of awe and wonder, interconnection, oneness, unconditional love for everything and everyone, the sense of yeah. oneness with everything and everyone. You're not getting that yeah. stuff. If that's your goal, you're definitely not getting it. But unfortunately, with like you know, say like communism, fascism, national socialism, the you know the big baddies. Uh, the point wasn't that. The point was to rescue themselves from an oppressive universe and escape the prison. Sure, you know, sure. It's, it's, and it's, you're right that that experience you know, can happen because they churches. need to rise above God. Like you know? literally, the language of the Communist Manifesto and Marx's other works are r- religious and spiritual. You know, ascension, rising above things. But you know, Marx was a materialist, so he didn't give give two, two craps about the. God, God up above. It wasn't God up above that is the no, one that has nihilists. his finger on yeah. you. It was, 
the capitalist, the bourgeois. Yeah, there was the, nothing transcendent know, that you're yeah. growing towards. Even though there's this idea of tra- the you know the socialized so not, man. Yeah, so you're not transcending your sense yeah. of of self and your egoic sense of self um, by any means in this experience. No, um, definitely not. Um, just like you know, you're not actually getting in touch with spirituality just because you wear yoga pants and go to yoga and that's drink, right. Yeah, you know, and it, even if and a lot of Christians or Buddhists don't experience. Sure. the higher state sure. as well yeah. and that's to no yeah. fault of their own necessarily it's it just depends on where they're learning what they're being taught mm-hmm. and it's how willing are they to counter their mm-hmm. teachers because even if your teacher's right you want to counter them if you think that you're right so they can promptly show you that you're not yeah um but if you're just like okay i'll, I'll, I'll do whatever you say okay I do this thing i said this 10 times and i'm good right yeah okay yeah. good yeah I'm like eh, there's a little more to it yeah, and I like that Verveke breaks down the various different religious schools and wisdom traditions for us so that we can see what is working mm-hmm. and why Why is it that's that someone why can is, become enlightened is, through Buddhism why, or is, Christianity or Stoicism or what have you. That's, that's why this series and, and his further works are really important because it helps define, okay, what is this thing that we're going – or, okay, what's the ultimate thing we're going towards? Okay, uh, working better as humans with each other mm-hmm. and – um, constantly emerging from ourselves, you know, Phoenix-like, if you will. Okay, what are the components that we use to do that? Mm. What are the things that we use to do that? And then where has it gone wrong? Where has it gone right? What works better? Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, and then, yeah. okay, let's build something better. Now, instead of fishing around in the dark with pseudo-occultism, you know, uh, perverted Gnosticism or mm-hmm. uh, devilish hermeticism. Yeah. Um, which can be very dangerous. And, you know, I'm not, yeah. not, I'm not knocking Gnostics or even hermeticists, but in the wrong hands, a phrase can be Turned very real. detrimental. Yeah. Um, no, in the true. right hands, that phrase could save the world. So that's why certain things are hermetic, hidden, sealed. Mm-hmm. Um that's a good way you to know. put that. Yeah, uh, but that's yeah. a very important point, and I, I'm glad that we hashed that out, though. Because yeah. well, what happened to the light? Hold on one second. Technical difficulties. I'm glad we hashed that out because it's okay for us to disagree a little bit as we're trying to understand things with one another, with our friends, with our family, with perfect strangers. Well, super cheap. Uh, it might have cashed out. Super cheap Walmart light just bit the dust, so I'm going to do a quick rearrange of the last existing lights we have. And um, yeah, yeah. Well, we're about to jump into yeah, it, guys. Let's go, so ahead. let's go ahead and let's jump into episode 33 of um, John Verveke's Awakening series: The Spirituality of Relevance, Realization, Wonder, Awe, Mystery, and Sacredness. And we'll make it work. That's not bad at all, though. We're we're getting. All right, cool. Yeah, you know. Yeah, we'll, we'll fix this here. I got these at the Wally right. World. <laughs> Old China Mart. CCP Mart, let's call it, because the Chinese people are, I'm sure, awesome as people of any other nation. It's just Chinese Communist Party and the PLA. It's that, it's that communist party that took over China. We, we're actually calling tai, uh, Taiwan China the people's. Yeah, it's, the actual. it's East Taipan. Yeah, and then at some <laughs> point in time, the UN and the US just stopped calling them that. But that's where the real government of China escaped to. So that's what we should be calling China is Taiwan. And yeah, let's just start calling China Taiwan. That would really yeah, the, piss, 
the people's the people's republic of china is uh not unfortunately the legitimate chinese government we should be very careful talking about that because they've got stock in everybody nowadays and, and even youtube doesn't like you talking about that but here we are sorry lebron james i hope you didn't ruin any of your uh your deals. I, I'm not. Else. I'm not saying sorry to LeBron James. I have very, very little appreciation. Man, what a for talented, that man. amazing human being! How did he fall for that? How did he fall for the uh, CCP? Personally, I think he's dumb as a box of rocks, but that's just me. There was a big W. I'm, I'm really well educated, or you know, something yeah, like that. And he's always seen with a book, but it's always on the first like two pages. Well, he's a genius when it comes to ball. And oh, sure, yes, uh, but I as far as intellectual, an he is not. Um, Apparently not, but you know, I guess he's a busy guy. He's training all the time. Well, some of some of it, even John Stewart could stand wrong sometimes, and he was really on point when it came to the vid when he got on to uh, his old buddy's show. Um. Anyways, we're we're gonna jump yeah, onto yeah, another yeah. side here, guys, and we're gonna say more of the bad words you're not supposed to say nowadays. We're trying to be good. We love you, big brother. We do. I don't. Sorry. I'm looking for the men in black running running up to get him. I uh, what like I I am the least of their worries. <laughs> no, like, see nowadays all they got to do is just shadow ban you and Yeah, right. You know. And to help us fight that shadow ban guys, hit the like and the subscribe and if you're enjoying the series, make sure that you smash like and subscribe for Mr. John Verveke's channel as well. There's a lot going on there and I highly encourage you to check it out. Much more beyond this awakening series. But now for us, we're about to dive into it. We're on to episode 33. So let's go, guys. Here Trick we are. Welcome back to Awakening from the Meaning Crisis. Last time, um, I, I suppose I probably... Uh, taxed your attention uh, quite a bit because we got into, I tried to keep it as accessible as possible, as jargon free as possible, but we got into some of the nitty gritty of how we could potentially uh, uh, give a naturalistic explanation of relevance realization uh, and see it potentially in, in being implemented in terms of self-organizing criticality and small world network uh, formation in the brain. And that that in turn could help us uh, to understand uh, uh, general intelligence, insight, and a, a lot of the functionality, and I was even arguing a lot of the phenomenological uh, aspects of consciousness. And that gives us right reason to believe that we may be able to use this machinery uh, to elegantly explain a lot of the central features of uh, human spirituality. We've already seen that um, this relevance realization is transjective. It's about our fundamental connectedness, connectedness to the world, connectedness of mind-body uh, together. We'll have to come back to connectedness to other people. <coughs> that it, That relevance realization is always deeply affective, that at the core of relevance realization is a caring that goes is integral to your cognitive commitment of your precious cognitive, metabolic, 
and temporal resources that we can see a lot of <clears throat> the stuff that Heidegger was talking about when he was trying to get us back to this primordial sense of meaning in the transjectivity of relevance realization and that that interpretation of Heidegger comes via Dreyfus and our, our being in the world. I want to pick up on that now. Instead of just being suggestive, I want to now try and, and carefully unpack what I want to call the phenomenology of relevance realization in terms of meaning making, the kind of meaning making that ultimately we have gathered together by the term spirituality. So let, let's, ga let's gather what we've done. Okay, so we had problem solving, right? And we went over this again in more detail last time. We have insight, categorization, all of these things seem to be, right? Demonstrative reference, that's the finsting. We, we put that within, right, the salience landscaping, consciousness, and closely tied to it, working memory, and then, of course, tied to that, of course, is G, right, got inference, that was the stuff with Cherniak, we got communication, all of this Right? is feeding into relevance realization. We could give a naturalistic, structural, functional organization of it in terms of self-organizing criticality and small world networks, where these are understood to mean families of processes, right? and these are deeply related together. And as I've said, we've already got that this is inherently uh, transjective. We've got this is an ongoing, evolving, sorry, evolving, involving. That's what I'm trying to get with caring and participation and how, right, you know, the, the know-how is grounded in the situational awareness, the perspectival knowing that's grounded in the participatory transjective coupling to the world, right? So it's this evolving, evolving optimization process of your connectedness, your fittedness. To yourself, to the world, to other people in communication, for example. All right. I've already given you an argument about how via complexification, right? This gives us an account of our capacity for self-transcendence, our capacity to produce emergent functions. And we saw that even connected uh, with insight. And we can see that at work directly out of this now. Well, why, why self-transcendence, the capacity for self-transcendence, to overcoming self-deception, is actually endemic uh, to your meaning-making machinery. Okay. In connection with that, of course, this would also explain, these two are related, your capa tremendous capacity for self-deception. 
for bullshitting yourself, right? Because this has to do with ultimately your your right your salience landscaping, etc. <clears throat> As I mentioned, and that's part of here, that the connectedness that's so central to people's sense of meaning in life, being connected to something that right, is in some sense greater than them, other than them in an important way, but to whom their identity is nevertheless coupled. I've tried to show you how it gives us a nice account of perspectival knowing and participatory knowing. And then how these two can come together in procedural knowing. We'll talk a bit more about that. But the creating of affordances. We've talked multiple times how affordances are the obviation of a transjective relationship within which my skills, my capacity to solve problems can be reliably trained and developed. Okay. Talked about, again, like I said, that this has an aspect of deep caring in it. So you're going to find the sense of significance here. This is something you care about, you bind yourself to, you commit yourself to. Um, in a very important way. I already suggested, and I tried to give you that with the account last time of insight, how this can help explain what's going on in altered states of consciousness while you're getting both a change in your salience, landscaping, a change in your relevance realization machinery, how it can be altering your optimal grip. Optimal gripping is also a case of optimization that fits within this, help to explain our higher states of consciousness. Right. Now I want to start pointing out some other aspects of it that I think contribute to it being, how do I want to say this, represented, understood, grasped as spiritual in nature. Let's take a look at some of the features of relevance realization that have come out of this argument. So these are all going to be ways in which we experience this as our fundamental framing of reality. But I, and again, but that's good, but it, it has a sense of us standing outside. We're inside the framing. We are participating in it. Okay? It has to do with, right, the framing is, right, at the level of the agent arena. It's not just looking out. It's the inclusive relationship. Okay, but I want to point out to the fundamentality of this. What I, I would argue this is a way of interpreting what Heidegger means by the primordiality of what he was talking about. Um, I, I'll, I'll criticize Heidegger later. I have criticisms of him, but I'm also trying to point out um, uh, uh, how this work, which seems so technical in some sense, can be connected to some very, uh, well, deeply existential and phenomenological uh, philosophy. Okay. So first of all, the fundamenta fundamentality of this. Okay. So notice that this is ultimately preconceptual in nature. 
It has to be, right? Because it's at the level, it's below your level of propositional processing. In order to, right, in order to have concepts, you have to categorize. In order to categorize, you have to have demonstrative reference. Sorry, in order to categorize, you have to have relevance realization. Also, in order to categorize, you have to have first have demonstrative reference, which is pure preconceptual relevance realization. So this is ultimately preconceptual in a deep way. Okay? And in that important sense, right, it's ultimately prepropositional. Prepropositional. If what we mean by belief, and it's often what we mean by belief, is the assertion of propositions and their implications, then relevance realization is taking place at a level fundamentally deeper than the level of belief. Now, you understand that I'm not proposing that this is just a bottom-up process. Of course, how we conceptualize things and how we have beliefs about things feeds back down. That's why all those diagrams have feedback down arrows in them. But we're talking about belief ultimately as an effect. It feeds back and affects, but it is ultimately an effect of relevance realization because, of course, this fundamental framing is pre-inferential in a deep way because inference, it's pre-communication. That means, you, you, well, I learned this from other people. Well, no, you can't. There's a sense in which you can refine it from other people, but you can't ultimately learn it from other people because learning presupposes it. Being able to pay attention to your mother and pick up on how she's communicating with you and make inferences from that so that you start to categorize the world and figure out that this is a bottle presupposes this. And that points to something else. This is pre-experiential. Not in the sense that it's happening to you before you have, like in, in some previous life, what I mean is that your meaningfully structured experience, the level of common sense obviousness, is a result of it. It does not generate it by the level of common sense, obvious, meaningful world. It is generated, that world is generated out of relevance realization being coupled to the environment. So it is pre-experiential. It is pre-egoic. I think in some important ways it's also post-egoic, but I'll come back to that. Right? Because your agency and the world as an arena in which you have a narratively structured, reliably acting ego emerges. These co-emerge out of relevance realization. That's why they are primordially connected together in participatory knowing. So relevance realization is pre-egoic. By the time you have you in a commonsensically obviated world of meaningful objects and situations, relevance realization has already done a tremendous, tremendous amount of work. So it's pre-egoic. It's pre-normative. And that's going to, oh, some people are not going to like that. Let me, I'm going to qualify that. 
It's pre-normative in the sense that it's your primordial normativity. Before you can assess truth, things have to be meaningful to you. Before you can uh, you know, assess beauty, they have to be aspectualized for you. Before you can assess goodness, right, you have to have agency and arena. This is, this is, this makes possible your normative judgments as to what is true, what is good, and what is beautiful. I'm not saying it, that those judgments are reducible. That's ridiculous. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying this is primordial to them. And that was part of uh, what I think Heidegger was going on about. So, what I want to talk about now is doing a little bit more of filling out, putting all of this together. Notice, notice how much this points to aspects of human spirituality. You have self-transcendence, but you also have foolishness. You have the connectedness. You have the perspectival and participatory knowing. You have the co-creation, the co-emergence, the co-determination of the agent arena. You have the core, right, binding together of your agency, your caring, and your cognition. Think about Plato, right? It, 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 it helps to explain the association of altered states of consciousness and especially higher states of consciousness with human spirituality. And notice a lot of the features, that, you know, that our spirit is somehow, it's deeper, it's deep. Like we, we, we have all these deepness metaphors and profundity metaphors, right? Because look what I'm showing you, that it's, it's deeper than your ego, it's deeper than your judgments of truth, goodness, and beauty. It's deeper than your propositional thinking. It's deeper than your conceptualization. The way that can be spoken of is not the way. It is pre-inferential. It is pre-communication. It is pre-experiential. It is a fundamental grounding of your being and your being connected because I'm arguing that those are one and the same. A lot of what is captured by your spirituality is captured by this the way this machinery unfolds phenomenologically, perspectively, in a participatory fashion. Yo, yo, we're back. So, RR. Relevance realization. Sits in, in the middle, and, it, and he, the way he draws it is there's arrows come, or there's lines coming in and lines coming out. Yeah, lines uh, coming in from the left side and then lines. Yeah, so right. so coming from the left side is your 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 ca- causes for lack of a better word, but the the inputs going into relevance realization, which is problem solving, insight, categorization, uh, demonstrative reference, consciousness, uh, inference, general intelligence, communication. Okay. Yeah, and then on the effect side, you have uh, your complexification, uh, which leads to self uh, uh, transcendence. Bio complexification, yeah. yeah. This accounts for self transcendence and emergent functionality, the overcoming of self deception. Yeah, 
But then you have self. You can deceive yourself. Particularly, this is a double-edged sword. This is what we were trying to talk about earlier. You can also self-deceive yourself, and so we have pseudo-like religious uh, ideologies out there that people will buy into because they're looking for something that yeah. gets them to the transcendent. And this place, and then this, you know, say cultural Marxism as an example, can imitate a lot of those features that religions have. Yeah. People are looking for a sense of meaning and belonging, for instance. So it's giving you a sense, this is what everything means, and this is how you're going to belong. Or even, you know, like when we get into the parasitic processing, your your heuristics um, that are would be reliable or lead you into a, um, a recursive self-defeating cycle that uh, reaffirms the... Yeah, you can turn that light down, too, with the button if you want to. Okay, that's um, so but um, not not just, you know, like, you know, being deceived by thinking you're on the right path, but being deceived is in the sense of like, um, maybe not necessarily thinking you're right. But, you know, like when you're in your head and you're going and you're going and you're going, it's like and you're running that conversation. You're just like, yeah, well, you're bullshitting yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So still on the effect side, we have connectedness is an effect of relevance realization. A uh, deep sense of connectedness. Yes. Um, the, a, this is where your perspectival knowing, participatory knowing, procedural knowing, your caring, which is significance. Um, mm-hmm. and, and then altered states of consciousness that give us a more optimized grip on reality and also higher states of consciousness that help optimize us yeah. fit in there. Yeah, and so fundamental framing um, is where we got into the pre's. It's all the pre's. Mm-hmm. So, the, like, RR is before everything. It is, you know, it, it is preconceptual. Before you have the concept of something, you have to realize the relevance of, uh, say, maybe its features or its purpose. Like, what does it do? The marker. You know, if you don't know it's a marker, it's just a cylinder where a piece comes off of it and it leaves stuff on you. Right. You know. Right. So this is this is where we get into the spiritual aspects, the fundamental framing of reality, the pre-conceptual. Yeah. So this is below the level of conceptualization, but below the level of ideas, beliefs, concepts. So pre-propositional, pre-assertion of belief. Yeah. It's deeper than belief, belief. concept, ideas, as yeah. I said. Um, pre-inferential and pre-information. Yeah, because uh, well, before you... learning presupposes relevance realization. You got to be able yeah. to recognize what's relevance before yeah, you can yeah, learn. Yeah, before you can infer something, you have to realize what is relevant, yes. and before you can communicate it or have you it to... communicated to you. So like, even when someone's beginning to well, teach you, somebody like... could be holding up like a beer can and say, "If you don't speak English, and I'm going beer can, beer can, beer can, beer can, beer can," you have to go okay. This guy, he's saying something at me. He's holding this thing into his hand. He keeps oh, looking. Oh God, it's got beer in it, and he keeps pointing to it. Oh, beer can. Before you realize it's beer can and communicating beer can, you had to realize, oh, there's this dude. Oh, he's interacting with me. He's trying to tell oh, me something. Oh, there's beer in that can. Oh, you, beer can. The word for this is beer, beer can. can. Okay. Okay, but you had to have a a uh, relevance realization before. All of that. Yeah. Before all yeah. of that. Yeah, before you could infer what that person was talking about. And, you know... So it's, pre, so it's pre-normative. Yeah, and... and before pre- we can even access 
what am I what am I writing here? The truth. Fo- yeah. Before we can even assess the truth of it, it has to be meaningful to us. Yeah. So this makes possible the realization of truth, beauty. Yeah. That's that's so profound. Well, yeah. It, How it, is that? That we have this capacity built into us. This gets into Ian McGilchrist's work, which is he is theorizing that value is fundamental in the cosmos. It's fundamental in the universe somehow. Truth and beauty and goodness <coughs> are actual, real, fundamental aspects of reality. They're they're there before everything. And and he's proven this through neuroscience as well as Verveke is doing it, just from a different angle. Um, but look into Ian McGilchrist's work, everybody. The Master and His Emissary and The Matter With Things are two of his books that have come yeah. out recently. So a short a short way to say a long thing is the real, realizing of what is relevant, this, this self-organizing criticality and small world network back and forth, back and forth, back and forth happens before or below or inside of every aspect every aspect of our brain's cognition yeah. relevance realization is there before it well, it's like the ground even the that makes everything possible that lead into relevance realization like problem solving in order to Require even re- create yeah. the problem you have to realize what is relevant, relevant. in in yeah. the environment of the problem yeah, to be able to categorize, you need relevant realization. Yeah, you got to be able to yeah. tell what stands out in those different things that you're yeah. trying to categorize and connect. One of these things is not like the other. You have to have that to before. have insights, yeah. to have general intelligence, to be able to communicate, to be able to do anything that our brains do. You've got to be able to recognize yeah. relevance. This is central to consciousness. Yeah. So what Verbeke's hidden on here and proving with all of these complicated terms yeah. is something that's actually happening in our brains. And we're drilling in closer than we've ever gotten to an explanation of human consciousness. But it's taken us into the spiritual realm of the ineffable. And this is, these next parts is where this episode gets really, really interesting. We're about to drop in there. Um, So he talks about the binding together of character and cognition is possible through relevance realization. Like the Stoics, they were so good at that. This explains the association of religion of old uh, religious teachings and wisdom teachings with higher states of consciousness and these terms of profundity and meaningfulness, these metaphors that we're seeing in these ancient writings or in people that have a higher state experience. They talk about how profound, how home and that one with everything and how meaningful it was and all those kinds of terms come up again. So this is a fundamental grounding of being and of being connected with the world. That's evolving and involving. That is evolving and involving. That's right. And involving, he meant because of the participatory and procedural. Well, you're involved in in it. Yes. You're involved in the evolution of it. Yes. Um, Yes. That's right. And you're involved in the optimization of connected fittedness as well as evolving into optimized connected fittedness. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah, and it, and that's yeah. I like the word. At, uh, what was it? Uh, trans transjective. Transjective. You know, it's 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 beyond subjective and beyond objective or pre. Yeah. It, it's it's something that emerges from the dance between two seemingly contradictory things. You know, let's say opponent processes. There you go. Um, like because um, you know go, the 
self-organizing criticality and the small world network you could you know look at as an opponent process like what we talked before with your um nervous system it's like the two word uh yeah. sides of the word meaning to the word realize yeah yeah. Where one sense is to realize, like to wake up to something, other senses to create something and realize it yeah. into the world. Yeah, to make real or so. Be- transjective is yeah. So to be able to have subjectivity and objectivity, you need first trans transjectivity. Yeah, to be a thing, which is now we're getting into the transcendent realm. Here is there something that was before and still is before everything that is making all of this possible. Raveki is not going to answer that for us here, but we're going to get closer to it and to the remarriage of science and spirituality than we have ever been. Mm-hmm. So here we are, guys. I think we've covered everything. Uh, yeah, I'm at uh, 1704, and that's when he's sitting very politely right before that spot. Cool. So we're just Look at that little Buddha belly he's got going on. Yeah. Just holding all of his I energy I think you're right, too. There. You said last episode looked like he lost a little yeah, bit of weight. Yeah, I think he is losing weight. During this, he's been losing a little bit of weight. Uh, hopefully it's from getting fit and not, like, stress. starving and i'm um, yeah hopefully it's because he's yeah. uh it's not because he's stressed yeah. you were saying i just switched the wrong story. oh yeah but well yeah what i was saying is like you know when somebody comes up to you and it's like oh yeah you look so good you're getting skinny and it's like oh yeah you know i've been starving and super stressed out and <laughs> you haven't noticed that i'm losing my hair but great thanks yeah <laughs> but in the case of john's like I'm, well he's you know he does he does the you know physical movement practices and he does a lot of like tai that. chi that's his thing yeah he does a lot of tai chi and he's been hanging out with Rafe Kelly, who does a lot of movement practices mm. as well. He's he's the uh, free running guy mm. that I was talking about that runs through the woods and all That's does so all kinds incredible. of movement, meditative exercises. Really cool stuff. Everyone, look up Rafe Kelly as Back well. R A F E Kelly K E L L Y. Not too long ago, we thought ninjas were these magical you know creatures that used magic to hop high walls and run across roofs and somehow stick to your ceiling. Look up turns out humans turns see. out humans can do it. It's so cool. You just, see guys jumping yeah. from tree to tree and doing crazy, crazy, crazy stuff and really cool free running. Dude, I've seen people through. jump like literally like thirty feet, hit the ground, roll, and just keep running. And right. like, and I, I, I had Parkour a buddy of mine. I had a buddy of mine who fell from forty five feet and he didn't hit the ground running. He, I uh, remember. Oh, you were there. Do you remember Josh Bell? Yes. Yeah. No, he didn't. He did like so to see like. He got real messed up. Let's just put it that way. He he's fine now, and shouts he still rocks. Cl- yeah, shouts out. Yeah, shout out to you, man. First thing I said when we went to the hospital, I'm like, you know, you can't fly. But when it comes to the parkour stuff, somebody put their mind to it, and they figured out a way you can jump 30, 45 feet down, and at the last moment, transfer your momentum into a different direction and just keep freaking going. <laughs> keep going. Yeah. And it's not magic. It, no. Not no, anymore. We're built to do it. You know, yeah. No, we, we and yeah. when you see people doing incredible parkour you get a feel for what humans were like as hunters in our prehistory we were amazing we were probably that oh for sure we were that amazing because we're just rediscovering these uh, agility movement and the body hasn't really changed in the past two hundred thousand years including the brain so right uh, this ain't maybe it's the first rodeo we've done with like you know the technology to be able to broadcast radio and all that stuff but uh as far as like all the other being able to build stuff and put rocks together and use your body in unique ways and gain, garner wisdom and all that stuff. We've been doing that for 200,000 years, man, or longer. Yeah, for sure. You know, for sure. Yeah. But humans, we rock. Humans Sometimes we are suck, amazing. but we rock most of the time. 
It's true. It's true. We have our saving graces, and they're powerful saving graces. Well, it's opponent processing. You know, you've got the ev- evil and good are opponent processes as well. Yeah. When defend when defending yourself from a cougar that wants to eat you, you got to be you got to have an- enough evil to not care about it and want to stick your thumbs in its eyeballs and take it out. Yeah. It's pretty evil. Well, you got to at least have that level of of wild courage. You could say there might not be anything malicious in it, but you do need to be able to have healthfully integrated your monster in such a way that you can bring the monster out when you need it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. When you say no, that is a good harnessing of evil because no is no, I'm not going to do it. And if you try to make me do it, there's going to be something bad that's going to happen to you when you truly say no. Mm -hmm. Not, oh, no, but like, no. Yeah. Like when yeah. your parent says no to you when you're a kid or you say no to your dog, the dog's just like, uh, I feel the threat. I feel the evil. You know, uh, so Satan or I think it's Satan. Um, I think that word means more of like a uh, judge. So the big, the big bad evil guy Interesting. is really the, the judge. There's also like the very envious judgeful side of God that dominates the Old Testament. Yeah, I don't know, but you know, there's a reason why we have these two different things, and it always seems a battle between mm-hmm. the two. It's like, well, mm-hmm. it's in us. Uh, but before I, it's ling- pretty, it's linger. pretty ingenious though, because nature does feel ruthlessly neutral to us. I mean, there's earthquakes, there's tidal waves, there's hurricanes, there's Forest sharks fires. <laughs> and tigers and fierce predators. It isn't just fluffy bunny rabbits and butter, you know. But butterflies out there making friends with one another it's it's definitely a harsh environment but it also is so beautiful and there's so much symbiosis and there's so much cooperation and friendliness that happens cross species even so it's uh it's it's quite the mix and uh yeah and we're about to dive into trying to understand that a little bit further here speaking guys. of cross species i was just watching orangutans and otters at a zoo <laughs> they put their enclosures together and then they made a pass where the Otters can get over nice. to the orangutan side nice. to play with the orangutan. Oh, that's awesome! And most dude. of the time, they're just messing with them. The orangutan likes it, but you know, he's just like, "Get out of here, you little <laughs> old man!" A little annoyed after a while, <laughs> but then we'll play play for a minute. Sometimes that's yeah, cool. Boy. All right, guys, we're gonna jump back in here. And I'm gonna rewind just a wee bit. There we go. There's these aspects of this, therefore, in a fundamental sense unconscious but there are these aspects of this in our consciousness and there are these aspects in this in what how our our cognition and our consciousness can are connected to the world i want to use a term here and then i'm going to develop it for the whole right hand side i want a term for all of this Right? So that I don't have to keep just sort of gesturing and flinging my arms in, in, in a, a semi-organized fashion at the board. I'm going to use a term here. I'm going to use the term religio. And I'm using it deliberately. Let me explain why. First of all, as soon as you see that, many of you are hearing religion. But I'm not using the word religion. I'm using the word religio. But I want the associations with religion nevertheless to be there. Religio is one of the purported etymological origins of the word religion. Uh, Religare, which means to read back, um, which is is importantly similar. Uh, This means to bind together. 
to bind together, to connect. So it obviously is pointing to this. But it carries with it many of these aspects, the, the primordiality, the fundamental framing of relevance realization, and all of this machinery. So when I invoke religio, I am basically invoking the right hand of this diagram. So religio is in that sense, I'm using the term, I'm using it in a spiritual sense. But, okay. So the thing here, you know, Paul Vanderclay would probably say that, you know, this is a word that fudges, you know, spiritual. And I don't want to be fudging. I am trying to specify how I'm using this word in detail and in organization. Religio is a, I'm using it in a spiritual sense as the sense of a pre-egoic, ultimately to post-egoic binding that simultaneously grounds the self and its world. Now, I want to pick up on that and pick up on the evolving, involvement, caring, participation, like all of this. And I want to uh, read you a couple quotes from a, 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 an article by Paulo Costa in a book called The Joys of Secularism. Right? He has a, a fantastic article there called A Secular Wonder. And he wants to try and explain what's going on in wonder and think about wonder. Think about how it's pointing towards the insight, the sense of opening up, but also the connectedness, how perspectival and participatory, how it involves your caring, how it often can merge with awe and altered states and potentially higher states. So wonder is central, right? But notice how he, how he the machinery he uses to explain wonder. This is a quote. Uh, the very ordinary fact that things always matter, right, he puts it in quotes, in some way or other to us, and that we cannot help but be affected by things as if we were immersed in a sort of bubble of meaningfulness. Notice it's the relevance realization, how things matter to us. And no, he uses the word matter because it's that importance, that, cons that constitutive kind of relevance realization. And we're immersed in it. We're immersed in it. We're immersed in sort of a bubble of meaningfulness, or better, in an atmosphere of significance. An atmosphere of significance. An import. Notice the word import is already here. That we do not create from scratch. We do not create it, but are absorbed by. The metaphor of the atmosphere should suggest not only the image of a global container, but also of a rhythm of breathing. Breathing, the compression and particularization, the, the generalization and the particular, the specialization, the assimilation and the accommodation, the breathing are the lifeblood of our spirit. The metaphor of the atmosphere should suggest not only the image of a global container, but also that of a rhythm of breathing and of a light refraction. It's doing relevance realization. It's refracting the light, structuring the intelligibility to which a living being must, listen to this word, must attune or adjust herself. All the participatory. This is from somebody who's commenting on secularism. 
He goes on to point out there's a central consequence of what he calls a bubble of significance. This is another quote. The experience of having a world, here the Heidegger in here, has its roots not in a head-on and focused relationship with a clear-cut object. It is, it is not something that we have as a focal object, something that we can right, objectify with an I-it conceptualization. The experience of having a world has its roots not in a head-on and focused relationship with a clear-cut object, but in the emergence of a bubble of significance that for a sentient being plays the same role that is played by the atmosphere with regard to the Earth. You participate in the atmosphere. You contribute to it, but you emerge from it, and you did not make it. It creates, that is, special conditions of life where existentially crucial distinctions between inside and outside are drawn. That primordial ground makes all the distinctions between the inner and the outer possible for us. The transjectivity is deeper than our subjectivity and our objectivity because the constitution of subjectivity and objectivity require all of this machinery. He then goes on to argue that because we aren't aware of the atmosphere in a focal, objectified way, I mean as a, a, as a perceptually focalized object, I don't mean as an object of thought. Right? He then goes on to argue that the atmospheric nature of the bubble of significance means that we don't experience it as a focal object, but through non-focal states such as, and here's the point of his article, wonder and awe or I would add their opposites, which we'll talk about later, absurdity and horror. Right? So wonder is that state in which we become aware in a participatory and perspectival way, not in a focal way, but in a perspectival and participatory way of the significance and our involvement and our indebtedness to and our participation from and our committedness to right the atmosphere of relevance realization one is tempted here and i i'm, I'm worried here about being sacrilegious so i i i'm i'm using this analogously please but the analogy is meant to be a strong one also. Right? This atmosphere, you see what Costa's doing here? He's invoking, you know, the, you know what, what St. Paul said, you know, God is in whom we live and move and have our being. I'm not claiming that relevance realization is God. That's ridiculous. I'm not doing that. But what I'm saying is, right, wonder and awe, which are often directed towards things like God, are ways that Koss is arguing in which we disclose the relevance realization and its spiritual and significance to us, its spiritual significance to us, right? The way in which we, with, 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 within it, we live and move and have our being. Again, this is from a person who is trying to articulate a secular sense of spirituality. Now, somebody who is aligned with this, but I don't think is um, 
uh, uh, I'm secular, is uh, the, the, the masterful work by Robert Fuller on wonder. His book on, on, on wonder is just a fantastic book. And he also argues how central wonder is. Now, what's interesting, he does two things that align with this so well. And I highly recommend this book. He argues, because it's, it's a book from, you know, emotion to spirituality. And what he argues, what Fuller argues is that, of course, wonder is responsible for some of our deepest spiritual experiences, our deepest experiences of what I'm calling religio. But he does that by precisely explaining the fundamental functionality of things like wonder. See, wonder, wonder is basically in the being mode, where curiosity is in the having mode. In, in curiosity, right now, I'm using these terms in their prototypical senses. We use these terms in very slippery fashions. So I'm not claiming that every time we use the word wonder or every time we use the word curiosity. But I'm talking about the kind of wonder that can overlap very readily and prototypically with awe. And I'm talking about the kind of curiosity that overlaps prototypically with our solving our problems and are manipulating the world in a way that we find powerful and efficacious. See, and, and again, remember what I said. It's not that one mode is good and the other mode's bad, but you've got curiosity within the having mode, and that's great, right? Because curiosity is problem solving. It's, it, it, it focus, it has a focal object. Curiosity is directed. What is that? What does that do? How does that work? Wonder is, <gasps> It's non-focal. It's the opening up. It's the awe. It's the sense of, right, the atmosphere. It's the perspectival and participatory sense of, oh, oh, ah. Right? And what Fuller argues is, and he makes use of work like uh, people like Fredrickson and others, that th this emotion, like this, the, the point of wonder is, right, if if curiosity it gets you to focus in like on specific features of the world, specific objects, wonder tries to get you to participate in the gestalt, the whole. How does it all fit together? Awe pushes you towards an opening, an ongoing accommodation, a sense of the inexhaustibleness, the combinatorially explosive nature of reality, and the ongoing evolving adaptability of your relevance realization to that explosive potential within reality itself. That's what wonder does. Wonder isn't about solving a problem. Wonder is about remembering sati, your being by putting you deeply in touch, notice the language, in touch with religio. Okay, now, that brings me to another aspect that overlaps with the primordiality or what I'm calling the fundamentality, the fundamental framing. Right? But, but, but think, about, think about how wonder gives you something like the auth again. It gives you the sense of participating, emerging from, co-creating with the ongoing course of your world. Not as a story, though, but 
something you can talk about with a story, like we talk about evolution as a story, but it isn't, a self, it isn't itself a story. It's grounded in something deeper. So, wonder, awe, not about solving problems. Remember, the having mode is about solving problems. The being mode is about confronting a mystery. Okay, I'm going to take it that this has been now etched into your brain. Um, and I am going to just, like I said, I'm going to rely on the word religio to invoke all of the right side and the fact that is dependent on the argument that came from the left side as well. Okay, so think about wonder, think about awe, and what we've been talking about. And this remembering of the being mode, which is so central to spirituality. Right? So that's another aspect of this. Okay, so think about this as accommodation, that opening up, having to go, to, right? This is you, when I accommodate, I come to know something by how I am transformed in order to come into contact with it and in my own my my self-knowing of how I've changed and my and the disclosure my realization of that what that is are bound together like prototypically when you're in love with somebody the off okay so this is accommodation and it's in the being mode you're remembering sati And in the mean mode, you're confronting a mystery. Do you remember, talked about Marcel's idea about how a mystery, right? And notice the machinery. We got, here's how I framed my problem. And then I realized there's a kind of insight that my, so originally there's an insight that, oh, that framing is itself problematic. And I moved to a more encompassing frame. And oh, no. And then what starts to happen is, ah. I'm opening up, ah, right? I'm opening up, and my insight goes from a reframing from a, to a transframing. Because I stop having insights about my focal problem, I start getting an insight not about just the, pro about the problem or the world. I also, remember, remember the sensibility transcendence. I'm also getting an insight into uh, the inadequacies of my, my style of framing, my way of framing. I'm getting a transframing happening. You get this trajectory of transframing. It doesn't stabilize, and that's the point. It can't land on a focal object. All it's disclosing, all it's disclosing in the trajectory of transframing is the machinery of religio. And yet you find that, like flow. You find that deeply meaningful to a point. If it's pushed too far, it becomes deeply meaningful in a negative sense of, of horror. Now, think about this. Okay? Think about how Right? 
and here's what we have to be really careful here. I want to talk about the, the, the mystery of religio. But I, I need to make a distinction here, and it's a distinction I've, I've discussed before, but let's go over it very carefully. There's a distinction between something being a phenomenological mystery and it being something that I cannot theoretically explain. To equate them is to equivocate between propositional and perspectival knowing, for example, and we should not equivocate between them because they're not identical. So, for example, it is phenomenologically impossible for me to perspectively know what it is like to be dead. Because whenever I try to conjure up a frame, oh, I'm in a dark room, but wait, I'm still there in the dark room. There's the here and this and the now. Oh, well, then I'm nowhere. Well, then I'm just an empty. No matter what I do, I can't get a framing that has within it my own non-existence, perspectively. But that is not proof that I'm immortal. It is not proof that I've existed for all time. Of course not. That's ridiculous. That's a mistake. That's an equivocation. So when I'm talking about mystery, I'm not talking automatically. You need an additional argument. You need an additional argument to go from phenomenological mystery to the claim of theoretical inexplicability. They do not follow because they are not identical for the deep reason that propositional and perspectival knowing are not identical. That is an equivocation. So I'm talking about a phenomenological mystery here. Well, what is it, what, what's at the core of religio? Well, the death example actually points to something more primordial, right? It points to the fact that I can never make a focal object of my framing my capacity for relevance realization. I mean perspectively. What I mean by that is I, whenever I am thinking, right, or doing anything, I'm all, it's always framed. Because if I'm unframed, I'm facing combinatorial explosion, which is non-intelligible to me. So whatever I'm thinking of is inside the frame. But what is precisely not inside the frame is the framing process. So here's the frame, or here's the framed, even better, right? And here's the framing. And what's not in there is the framing. Or you say, oh, what I'll do is I'll do this. Ha <laughs> ha, that was easy, John. Ha <laughs> ha, John, I got you. That was easy. No, you didn't get me, because what's outside here still is what is framing that? You cannot have this in a part, right? You can't have it as a focal object. It is mysterious. It is phenomenologically mysterious. James pointed to this in, in, in a wonderful distinction between the I and the me. These are the aspects of you that you can bring into view. Well, who am I? Well, I'm John Verveke, and this is what I look like. Here's an image in my mind. And what's not there is whatever it is that's generating that name and that image. And then I go deeper and say, ah, but here's the part of my, right, that was generating the part that was, and then I can never, and uh, the pun again, right, I can never see the eye. I'm always seeing by means of the eye. It is phenomenologically mysterious too. But it doesn't mean that I'm unaware of it. I always have to use older language, 
from the course I mean, I always have a subsidiary awareness. I'm always aware through my I of my me. I'm always aware through my framing of my framed. It's, I, I, I'm not completely out of touch with it. It is not inaccessible to me, but I cannot focalize it. I cannot make it a focal object. I cannot frame it. Right? The machinery of relevance realization is in that sense deeply phenomenologically mysterious to me. doesn't mean I can't talk about it theoretically. I've just been doing it. But it has a deep phenomenological mystery to me. The fact that it grounds and makes possible my subjectivity and the objectivity where that, where what I mean by that is things constellated into objects that we can make inferences about, etc., right? I can't use the grammar of subjects and objects, subjects and predicates, conceptual categories, to talk about this in the sense of exemplifying it. I can use words to talk about it in the sense of pointing to it, but I can't produce it in subjective and objective categories precisely because the whole argument points towards its transjective nature. Again, that only, that only, <laughs> that only makes it phenomenologically mysterious. It doesn't make it a theoretical inexplicability. I can, look, you, you cannot confuse properties of your theory with properties of what your theory is about. If I have a theory of light, it itself, right, isn't light. If I have a theory of war, my theory isn't itself an instance of war. If I have a theory of gravity, my theory isn't itself generating gravity. My theory of vagueness doesn't itself have to be vague. In fact, my theory of vagueness should be clear. Okay? My theory doesn't have to exemplify what it's talking about. And there are cases where it cannot exemplify what it is talking about. But that doesn't mean I can't talk about what I'm talking about. Okay. We back. Much to go over, fam. So, so he starts to outline the right side of relevance realization, the, uh, well, we could say the outputs of relevance realization. And he terms that religio. Religio. Yes. yes. A pre-egoic binding that simultaneously grounds our beingness and the world. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I didn't catch the author's name, but uh, Joys of uh, Secularism. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, and a secular wonder. Um, so wonder is central to what matters and matter in quotation mark like actually like matter as well matters to yeah and matter as well you're right um uh the bubble of meaningness meaningfulness yeah. meaningfulness um and bubble okay encapsulated but a better way is the atmosphere of significance i love that and i love the way that this guy says the very ordinary fact that things always matter yeah is the wonder and we cannot help but relate as though everything is meaningful. We're immersed in, as he said, an atmosphere of significance. Yeah, uh, rhythm of breathing. Yes. Because um, you're 
assimilation and congregation. Breathing and light refraction. Yeah. Um, a living being must attune itself to its environments through these through this through these methods and we notice how we are absorbed by this atmosphere of significance we assimilate and we congregate with it and and as an as an agent of the atmosphere as well yes um yeah the experience of having a world has relation with a bubble of significance such as that earth has an atmosphere we didn't create that having we interact with it and having the world is not a focal um a focal object but the interaction we're having yeah yeah it's like i have a personality but i am not the personality well who is the who that has the personality then if you can't list what you are without any descriptions without any words or ideas or concepts yet you can still feel this sense of being this who is that well this is where we get transsubjective it's beyond description deeper than the subject or object yeah um this is the Tao. Um, so wonder, the opposite of wonder is uh, absurdity. The opposite of awe is horror. And that's interesting because mm. when we see um, horrible things, we say that's awful. Oddly enough, oh, it's awful. Well, you think awful would be like full of awe, right? But like it's the inverse negative form when, you know, yes. awful is horrible. Yes. Yeah. Awe, awe can be both, you know, it's it's like trying to describe god and you hear descriptions like terrifyingly beautiful in or, the same sentence you know and that's that gives you an impression of it's so overwhelming it can be terrifying it can also be overwhelmingly beautiful and the amount of beauty the, all of that information at once is uh, almost shakes you to the core it disrupts your yeah. normal sense of reality so this how, how relevance realization and the sense of wonder creates a primordial ground that grants us a sense of inside and outside. Yeah. That's the transjectivity, yeah. the pre-object, pre-objective, pre-subjective, wonder and awe versus absurdity and horror. Wonder is that state in which we become aware of the significance of our involvement, commitment, and commitment to the atmosphere of relevance well, realization. Before we go into that, there's something I wrote down that's, <clears throat> we are within... Mm. And participating in the atmosphere. Of yes. So not our, only yes. are we just in it, but we are also participating, participating in it. So We're that introduces, it. yeah, um, it introduces the having mode and being mode as well. Like That's it's, right. It's, it's both in this way. It's like you know you have the atmosphere, but or you're being in the atmosphere, but you're also having. <sighs> it's something that you have a having relationship with as well. And it has it has you too. And it has yeah. you too. And so Acosta, now we get to this gentleman uh, who is invoking. That's right. He, he's Fuller. the guy that wrote. I think it's Fuller. Wrote uh, yeah, so Acosta wrote The Joys of Secularism. Acosta. And Acosta was okay. invoking the spiritual way we live within, move, and have our being in a secular sense of yeah. spirituality. Yeah. And this is what he's invoking, the secular sense of, of spirituality. And it's, it has very religious language, you know, the, the way we live m- within it yeah. like you were saying with atmosphere we move within it and have our being within it so now we get to robert fuller mm-hmm. who wrote on wonder and and argues wonder is responsible for uh what Vicky's calling uh religio yes for our deepest experience by explaining the the the, the functioning of wonder mm-hmm. wonder is definitely being mode and it with awe 
And this isn't... And it's also scaling up as well. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And curiosity is associated with having mode. It can sometimes be being mode. Verveke makes this point, but often, it's, very often, it's with the having mode. And so curiosity overlaps with problem solving. But wonder is not going into particularization like problem solving, curiosity mode is, having mode is. Yeah. Wonder is opening up. Yeah. It's, yeah, whereas the curiosity is the manip manipulation mm -hmm. um, of the having mode. Um, and yes. so this opening up, uh, this, this, this scaling up, this sati, this remembering, uh, like, re-becoming a member of... Um, yes, the deep sense of remembering by being in touch with... by being in touch yeah. with reality in religio. And yeah. so this binding together. So the point of wonder is to participate in the gestalt into the larger whole. Yes, and that's where the sc scaling up is. The, the gestalt, you know. Yes. You, you you scale up into the gestalt and you scale down into the individual details. Details. In particulars, yeah. yes. Yes, so um, this is, uh, so we're tapping into in the, with wonder the inexhaustibleness and the ongoing, and we're partaking in an ongoing adaptability of our relevance realization to that explosive sense of wide open reality. Yeah. In, in, in a non-narrative way as well. You know, you're participating yes. in this world, but not in a, like a narrative story. You, yeah, it's, it's your coke. Yeah. So the wonder gives us the sense of da'ath, which is a sense of mm. co-creating with somebody else or with the world. So it's not, so we can talk about it as kind of like as a story but it's not a story it can be talked about in that way but it's something deeper yeah so religio comes from the the right side of this chart the the products but it's dependent on the inputs the mm -hmm. input side as well so it's it's coming from one but also dependent on the other mm -hmm. and it's always going both ways and he pointed that out mm -hmm. for us too to remember that these things are always recursive mm -hmm. um so, so we have awe and wonder, and in awe we have this accommodation. Yeah, so the being the, mode and accommodation are... <clears throat> bound together. Mm -hmm. Yes, the realization is bound together in this being mode with, with the sati, the remembering, and that sense of mystery is a pheno phenomenological mystery that Verbeke is trying to outline here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so he um, he... Explained opening of uh, opening of reframing. Oh yes. Mm -hmm. So you know you have your frame. Yep. You you frame and a then problem. You move out. You have an insight, and then you have a new frame. And then you do it again. You have yes. new frame. Well, so before you have the insight, you create a frame, and then create First a frame, frame around it, and then another frame. Yeah. And then you have an insight that connects all the frames uh, that transcends these frames. Yes. It it's so. This transcending of framings is the machinery of religio. Yes, this is all. This is yeah. insights piling upon themselves. So the framed problem, and then you have like an initial insight, you get a more encompassing frame, and then you get a greater opening up, a new frame, where the insight is not just about the problem now, the insight is also about one's own initial pre yeah. previous misframing. Yeah. So now sure. you're brought into the dance. So now you're you're seeing, oh, yeah. I was wrong here. Yeah, your most you external know? framing that you've got right now can then connect back to your previous framing and expand it yeah. and better inform uh, your mistakes, if you will. Um, so this is the trajectory of trans framing. 
Yes. And this is why we find flow so deeply meaningful because it's a, it's a cascade of insights. It's a cascade of awe and wondrous connections with reality and with a new understanding of yourself as you reframe and refit. And actually, like, so this is an anecdotal personal experience, but um, I won't say I'm an expert at, you know, the functionality and what is flow state, but I am an expert at getting into it with groups of people um, Mm -hmm. through the band, uh, the Music, jam sure. improv band that i have that like we specifically do a lot of off the cuff improv stuff where everybody listens you have to problem solve you have to see the whole thing at once but you also have to zoom into the particulars you know like what key are we going okay what movement are you doing okay what uh chord pattern are we using for this now there's a shift putting it all together and it puts you in that flow state and it feels like a cascade like literally it feels like it rushes over you mm. it's just it, it, like you know like a um uh like a uh waterfall yes so it's just interesting that word you know it's cascade it it literally feels like that like Like constantly that's a great flowing and falling down and yeah and not falling down in a bad way but like you know coming down from on high gracefully and and yeah and it's crazy because in those moments you're able to keep track of everything that everyone's doing in a broad sense but you're also able to pick up on particulars and also what you're doing too so what they're doing you're watching you're you're actually watching yourself respond to this little thing that someone else did that was like oh that's really clever what he just did there now we're playing off it in multiple ways you're scaling up and scaling down at the same time so it's like okay well understanding the whole song or where we're going that would you would call that the scaling up gestalt end understanding the components of you know what key you're in what are the chord movements that we're using um basic rule sets to kind of know where you're going like you Mm -hmm. know like if you play blues it's a one four five right but there's also the scaling up and out of what is everything everybody's doing and then the scaling down into what am i doing or specifically what is another person doing while it's all happening at the same time so you have multiple multiple non-dual um recursive loops happening, figure eights yeah. happening with each other over and over and over and over and over and over and over again <laughs> so cool <laughs> yeah it's, it's 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 an interesting feeling and i do it through music other people you know do it through basketball sport or co- sport, conversation, conversation or anything. you know yeah. other things i just happen to be a musician so that... yeah and and it helps and and so to to be able to cause flow state to occur there's different ways to help trigger it and playing at the very edge of your ability so you guys are playing in improv territory nobody knows what's going to happen next you're playing at the edge of your ability it's challenging to do that but you guys are all technically adept you guys are all talented with your instruments you've been playing for a long time so as long as you have the skill set and then you go to do something that is at the edge of your ability you are likely to induce a flow state, especially if, if everyone is open to operating in that space yes. together in a team kind of environment with preset rules and, and ideas around it. So with basketball, you have the court, you have everyone yeah. has their own position. There's different rules and things that everyone has to abide by. But within the constraints give you that the arena, but within yeah. that the re- arena, the agents have free reign. Yeah. And you will see somebody like Michael Jordan go into a flow state and score 50 points in a playoff game. Because the conditions are set up just yeah. right, and he also is practiced at cultivating well, that state. Well, you know, if if we didn't have, and with his teammates, so the no look passes are happening, yeah. and then yeah. you know, the intuitions are all happening together. And if we didn't have constraints, like say, like you know, in in 
music or sports and it was just like so particularly with music if you're jamming combinatorial explosion well and also just be a bunch of like so music noise noodling there's nobody listening so it's combinatorial explosion so you know our first constraint is okay what key are we in (laughs) and you know i have and there's a genuine general speed that you all are playing according to yeah well so what we do is uh pick a key uh pick a style so like somebody will Somebody like, you know, the drummer will start playing something. It's like, okay, I guess we're playing that kind of rhythm. And then we'll look around and then somebody will start playing something. Oh, what key are you in? Okay, you're in an A minor. All right, uh, that's one. Okay, we'll call that one. Now, uh, you know, while we're moving through, you know, I'll move to something. I'd be like, okay, well, we're in the one. Let's go to uh, the three and the two. And so it's like, those are the next constraints. And then by the time we go through a set progression back and forth once, now we can reliably go back and forth. And then when we, make a change to completely change the whole thing we still have the constraints of the previous to then get back to and get back Mm -hmm. into it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that gives us all the freedom in the world to do whatever we want yes but if there was no rules like you know if we didn't have the same language that is you know like um you know what key are you in yeah uh what chords are you going to i use numbers because like trying to like figure out whatever key i'm in whether it's major and minor and then say that while i'm playing is just too much so one two three four five six seven (laughs) <laughs> but it is it's like an intuitive knowing okay well yeah. this this phrase is about to end so mm-hmm. we are going to wind this thing up um, together at this part another constraint here fours eights 12 16s like how many times through the stands or how many measures yeah and someone might do something surprising yeah you know they but might the, change it on you and that will be a really cool change too yeah. and so that's will adapt and flow with it so when yeah, we the, flow we find it deeply meaningful it's the most meaningful thing yeah. that we experience so that's you know uh, the the insights within the opening of framing, mm-hmm. um, and now we're the now we now we're noticing also how it's impossible to perspectively have a framing of one's own death or non-existence. Yeah, but you can't. You know, like you can't have the perspective of being dead. That's right. So the um, I and the me are aspects that we can bring into view, but whatever generates that sense of I or that sense of me. We can't see it. You can't see the eye, but yet we see by means of the eye. Like I, yeah. yes, I'm always aware of the eye through the through the sense of me, knowing that I have an eye. So it's from frame to frame. But realization, real, relevance, realization is what grounds us and makes possible that objectivity and subjectivity in the first place. So there is a deeper ground that we can experientially know, but we can't yeah. intellectually know or name it. Yeah, and and Verbeke is. And you can't make a frame. You can't away make from a frame relevance process. realization. God, but I think you're getting yeah. pretty close to what people are talking about. Yeah. Well, so and when they say the term or the word God, you cannot make a a framing process within this mystery within the perspectival. Yeah, knowing sense. Yeah, because you know you make a frame and then you're like, oh well, yeah, I got a frame. Oh well, I got oh, a frame man. around it, and then well, then what's the next frame around that? And we know where that leads. Yeah, um, On, only in the participatory and the procedural can we experience yeah. it in the being mode. We can't experience transjectivity or or transcendence in the personal having mode but we can through the being mode and and so when it comes to relevance realization we we can only point to it we can't produce it that's right like you can't necessarily like you know teach a baby and teach it how to realize its toes now 
Now, mind you, you can point to it and you can point to their toes and you can chew on their little toes and you can point to your toes and wiggle your toes and that through mirror neurons, it's going to wiggle its toes. And slowly it's going to start to form its relevance. But you can't just be like, okay, your toes are relevant. (laughs) They help you walk. They're, you know, like, they're It's all you're doing is going to the baby and whatever motions or anything you do, it's... The baby, before it learns to speak, realize the relevance of its toes. Yeah. First off as something it could put in its mouth to figure out and like, you know, play with and mess yeah. with and just and, but then eventually, oh, these little things. Oh, you can, can play with around. them. Okay, I can move them. Oh, I can oh. push off the carpet with them. And yeah. oh now I can scoot yeah. and you know, oh I can grab something. <laughs> yeah. 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 All, all before all before all the rest. Um So what's crazy is he goes into this part where he says we can't use conceptual categories to talk about it. Yeah. So we can't confuse the properties of any theory with the theory itself. Yeah, like the theory of light is not light. No, the theory of gravity has no weight. Gravity, it doesn't create gravity, you know. uh, What what did he say? A theory of vagueness would actually still have to be clear, you know? Yeah, yeah, right. (laughs) I think he says, I don't know if he said that yet or he says that next. (laughs) That's hilarious, though. It's a really good point to that really helps put this in perspective. Um, It's because people are going to confuse what he's saying with his theory, that the properties of the theory with the theory itself. And we're not trying to equivocate here. Yeah, yeah. All right. All right, for the last bit. Last little trunk here, guys. We're jumping back in. My theory doesn't have to exemplify what it's talking about. And there are cases where it cannot exemplify what it is talking about. But that doesn't mean I can't talk about what I'm talking about. It has to be that I have to understand the limitations that are given by the differences between the kinds of knowing. And also, the ways in which I can and cannot bridge between these kinds of knowing. So there's something deeply phenomenologically mysterious. And in that mystery, the mystery opens up an affordance of a trajectory of transframing that allows us to participate in, perspectively, a kind of wonder and awe of religio. We can get into something very much like a transjective trajectory flow state in which we are basically celebrating in flow our participation in religio. And we do this, I would argue, for the very good reason that to make significant, to reflect upon, to celebrate and enact religio is to fundamentally enhance our agency, the disclosure of the world, and our connectedness to it. And what else could be more valuable to us? What else could be more valuable to us? So, I think there is now a major objection that could be leveled against the argument that I am building. And I I take this objection very seriously. This is the argument that, yes, John, I will grant you 
with Costa, there's all kinds of wonderful, spiritual, meaningful things on this side, and, and you're capturing a lot about mystery and self-transcendence, and, and also the, the, the negative capacity of you know, bullshitting ourselves and reciprocal narrowing and falling into right, despair and, and, and addiction. And you, you, that, you're capturing all of that. I'll, I'll grant you all of that. Perhaps you're not, but look, I'm, just for the sake of the argument, so I'm granting you all of that. But there's still something missing that I think is central uh, to what, how I use the word spirituality and what I would, what's, what's missing from religio that's found in religion is to confront the sacred. I'm trying to use a term as neutral as possible here because it's unclear, I think, if we should apply uh, the term divinity, for example, to the Buddhist notion of shunyata or the Taoist notion of the Tao. I don't think calling it divine um, is a plausible interpretation. Whereas God is divine, I don't think you should call the Tao divine. But uh, the Tao is clearly sacred in an important way. And I think for many versions of Buddhism, uh, Shunyata has a kind of important kind of sacredness. So the thing here is there's two, there's two things we have to talk about. And we have to talk about them carefully, but keep them distinct, but also show how they're connected. <clears throat> so the sacred is typically uh, when we want some account of the metaphysics of what grounds our experience of sacredness. So this is, some, this is basically a metaphysical proposal. A standard um, Western proposal although I've already given you an indication that it's not universal, it's not in things like Buddhism um, or Taoism, is um, that the sacredness is grounded, the metaphysical proposal is grounded in being supernatural um, in some sense. And of course, that's, again, a very loaded term. I'm going to use it in the way I've argued for in this video series, right? something that you know, is historically constructed running through people like um, Aquinas and beyond. Okay, that now that's so. This is the metaphysical proposal, and then you ultimately have a psycho-existential proposal over here, which is proposal, which is right. Well, this is what it's like to experience sacredness. Um, this distinction comes to the fore, for example, historically, and there's so many people. Right? I wish I could talk about more. Uh, I, I need, I need, you know, I, I need three more series. But if I tried to run this for 150 episodes, my crew would kill me, and then, th then there'd be a tragedy. They'd up in jail. It'd just, it'd just be a mess. So I'm going to stick to the 50, right? But this, the, pulling these apart, you find this, of course, prototypically in the work of Schleiermacher, where he sort of puts aside this proposal because it's coming into serious disrepute because of the advent of the scientific revolution, and he shifts towards, well, but what's the psychological existential experience of sacredness? And you know, his, uh, his proposal that it's the experience of you know, sort of absolute dependence, and coupled, I would argue, with things like wonder and awe. But that's 
that distinction, right, came to the fore in uh, work by Schleiermacher. And you can see a lot of theological debate, I would argue, I can't do the argument here, but you can see the, a lot of the theological debate as the debate between a side that wants to emphasize sacredness and a side that wants to emphasize the sacred. <clears throat> so, I want to talk about this, but I want to talk about this in a way that reflects back on that. Why do I start here? I start here because, of course, I've argued that religio is exactly a psycho-existential. Very powerfully read this, though. Well, this has to do with modal, right? With your, like the being mode. It has to do with your modal existence. It has to do with transjectivity. It has to do with primordiality. You have to read this in a deeply Heideggerian sense, right? But that's what I mean. It's a, and psycho meaning, right, having to do with your cognitive processing, all the kinds of knowing, right? Your embodiment, your embeddedness. So reading psycho psychological in, the, in also a very comprehensive way. But I'm clearly arguing that religio is on here. So first of all, I should start here because that's where I'm starting from. And I want to talk about sacredness as a, within a psycho-existential sense. And then if I can, if, I've already done this, right, ground this in RR, relevance realization, then I'm going to make proposals about what this tells us about the kinds of constraints that are available to us in uh, our metaphysical proposal. And I'm going to propose an alternative uh, to this, um, which um, I, I imagine will be controversial. But I hope that the, controversial will be con the controversy uh, will be constructive uh, rather than merely adversarial. All right, so let's, I'm, I'm going to start here. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be honest with you. I'm trying to be clear about what I'm trying to do. I'm not try I don't want to be shuffling any cards from the bottom of the deck here. Right? I'm trying to be as upfront as I possibly can be. Of course, I'm not unbiased or any kind of magical claim like that, but I'm trying my best to put the machinery that I'm aware of using and that I'm deliberately putting into play out front so that we can talk about this as clearly and as honestly as possible. Okay. So let's ta talk about sacredness as a psycho-existential thing. And where I want to start, right, is in the machinery of the agent-arena relationship. And I want to bring back the work of Geertz. And we talked about the work of Brian Walsh. And uh, we talked about... Um, this when we talked about domicide and domicide as the loss of something. And this points to an, an, an a very central feature of sacredness um, that is so, so central that we can, it's so backgrounded that we can, I think, inappropriately trivialize it. But remember what domicide, remember how disastrous domicide is. Remember what happens if you actually experience domicide. If I, if, you, if I fling you into another culture and you experience deep culture shock, or I isolate you in solitary confinement, okay? So that deep loneliness, that deep homesickness, that deep cultural shock, that's domicide. And so part of sacredness, Geertz argues, right? Part of sacredness is to home the world that's, I mean, I understand why he puts it, but it's not homing the world, it's homing us and the world together, right? The world, we are homed into the world and the world homes around us, very much like Costa's atmospheric 
bubble. So this is the idea that one of the functions of sacredness is what Geertz calls a meta-meaning function. Now he talks about this in his work on religion, but he's definitely in the Schleiermacher side of things. So this is not appropriate for me to do it this way. And this is something that fits in with our argument very well. Geertz argues, and, and be careful here because people jump. He argues that religion isn't a system of meaning. Oh, no. Okay, wait, wait. He thinks it's a system of meta-meaning. Right? So whatever, when, whatever distinct meaning systems we make, here's a legal system, here's a moral system, here's a fashion system, right? here's an entertainment system. We have all these meaning systems, but notice the argument that we've already made. Those are all dependent on the primordiality of the transjective relationship between the agent of the arena. If that relationship doesn't hold, none of those other systems can work, which is why when, if you go to another culture and you don't go through the participatory transformation, Right? If you don't, and you're just experiencing culture shock, domicide, the agent arena relationship isn't in place, then none of those other meaning systems can work for you. They'll be absurd. They won't make sense. That's what he means by it being a meta-meaning system. What it does, he argues, he argued that religion, I would argue what the experience of sacredness is, because, I, I, again, the word religion fudges between are we talking about the Schleiermachian sense or are we talking about sort of the metaphysical referent? Okay, so remember, I've, I'm pulling these apart to try and avoid that confusion. So, but what Geertz is talking about here is, right, that if you don't have that, that none of uh, your individual meaning systems work. And religion, in the sense of the experience, the cultural and individual experience, of sacredness is what gives us the meta-meaning system that protects us from domicide. It protects us from the horrors and the absurdities of domicide. So one of the, one of the functions of sacredness right, is this, the meta-meaning process of homing us against horror. where horror would be to be overwhelmed by loneliness, it would be overwhelmed by homesickness, cultural shock, and a tremendous sense of alienation, absurdity, and anxiety. Okay? Now that's important. I think that's a very important function of sacredness. We, what we do when we go into a sacred setting is we play with, meta, we, we, we have psychotechnologies, and I'll come back and give a definition of, uh, a, 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 like a, a clear definition as we work that out of a psychotechnology. But we have psychotechnologies that allow us to do the serious play, right, with sacredness so that we are constantly being homed against horror. And of course, many of you are aware of all the research showing that People that belong to religious communities or spiritual pathways are much more resilient in the face of the tragedies and horrors of life. That's a reliable finding. One of the ways in which, I mean, you, you have to seriously consider the other costs, but one of the ways in which you can improve your capacity uh, to make your way through the world is to be committed to a spiritual community and a spiritual path. Uh, presumably, it also has a history behind it. 
Um, it has institutions, etc., and that would make it more prototypically like a religion. Again, you know me by now. I'm not advocating for a nostalgic return to religion. I'm trying to point out, though, the functionality. So, worldview attunement, homing us against horror. Remember, Costa even used the word attune in there. That's definitely a function of the sacred. Now, here's where I want to criticize Geertz. I think that while this is definitely an important part of, sorry, I, I, I slipped there. I should have said a function of sacredness. I made a mistake. This is definitely a function of sacredness. <clears throat> but I think that there is a mistake if we think that sacredness can be reduced to or identified solely with the machinery of worldview attunement and homing us against horror. It's very plausible to me that this is a necessary feature of sacredness, but I do not think it is a sufficient feature. So if we go back to Hellenistic domicide, if you remember, we talked about the different kinds of responses. There was syncretism, and then there's things like stoicism and the remembering of the being mode. But there was also Gnosticism. And Gnosticism keeps reverberating, right? It keeps reverberating through everything we're doing here. And Gnosticism, of course, is a way of trying to awaken us to the primordiality of, and the mystery, in some important sense, of religio, that's definitely what's going on, but there's something interesting about the Gnostics. And that's the element that Dakana emphasized, that the trajectory of transframing is ultimately understood as transgressive. It's trying to, right, overturn the grammar of a worldview. It is transgressive in a deep, deep sense. And I think that that points towards something else that the sacred does for us. And, right? and this goes towards the work of Otto, deeply influenced by Kant. I hope you see how, in a way, my work is deeply influenced by Kant, also by Hegel. But Otto, in his book, which is translated um, The Idea of the Holy, very bad translation. Many people argue a better translation would be something like The Experience of the Numinous. Because Otto's argument is precisely this notion has become very clouded for us. Okay? It, is, it, it is plausibly related to notions of wholeness and completeness. Um, uh, there, there's probably connections to words like health, um, which people wouldn't automatically think of, right? But we know that people typically think about this connected now in terms of, of a moral term or righteousness. Right. But the, the, this association says, what well, something else is going on here, uh, right? Uh, again, the etymologies are, are, are contested. Uh, of course, with a word like that. We know that this is also weirdly associated with this, and I mentioned this before, glory. The glory of God, which is the predica predicate most often applied to him in the Old Testament. And that's not a moral term. So what we've got to get to is, what's going on here in this experience of the holy? 
And uh, Otto created this term, the numinous, picked up, of course, by uh, Jung, right, to describe what, what the original, the, the primordial experience of the numinous is before all of these, but what this is most pointing towards, a little bit of this, not so much this, right? What the numinous is, is the fundamental experience. And here's what I'm going to talk about next time, that the experience of the numinous is ultimately to experience the transgressive side of the sacredness, how it, it opens us up in wonder and awe and even takes us to the horizon of horror. Thank you very much for your time and attention. Meow, 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 meow. Rough, rough, rough. Rough, rough, rough. Rough, rough, rough. So, um... Understanding the limitations of the different kinds of knowing. Yes, and how we can can and can't bridge between. Yeah. The, what is that? So mystery opens up an affordance for perspectival wonder and awe experiences. We can get into a transjective trajectory and we can experience flow in religious practice in which we celebrate and enact the religio. Hmm. Why enacting, and this helps us understand why enacting the religio, the binding, is good for us. Yeah. What's mm. missing that he points out is a clear way to confront the sacred. Yeah, so uh, religion confronts the sacred, um, whereas religio, not so sure. Of this. So that's why we're going into this and mussing about with it. Um, and religio, as he said before, was uh, tied into relevance realization. Mm -hmm. um, so what, you know, what does this tell us about the sacred or so there's the sacred, which is the metaphysical proposal, the supernatural. Mm -hmm. And then there's sacredness, which is the modal and the psycho-existential proposal. Yes, so the cognitive processing that's happening yes. is the psycho side. The existential is being mode. What's it like to actually experience sacredness is what this side is, mm -hmm. is focused on. And there's a big debate. It's a theological debate. Which, which should we focus on, the sacred and the supernatural sense of the sacred, like just believe, yeah. or should we focus on the sacredness side, which is what it's like to have this experience? Or can we go on further and... And this is where we find it, it, relevance realization playing through religio. religio, which is of sacredness, to mm -hmm. tell us about the sacred. So yes. using this, this, this psycho-existential side to inform us on the more metaphysical, propositional, supernatural end. Well said. You know, demystifying the mist yes. in the valley, if you will. Dig you know. it. Dig it. Um, so we have sacredness on one side, which homes us. And it actually homes the world and us together. So it's like the the world wraps around us in a home kind of way. I like that. Yeah, I, I, love I thought he was saying that. honing, but then homing, 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 homing makes a lot a lot more sense. Homing, yeah. You know, home the world uh, and, and us is... together to deal with domicide. Yes, the horror yes. of dom of losing your home because it's not just actually just losing your home. 
No, it it's can be a sense of deep loneliness, meaninglessness. Losing your community. Well, I, I yes, felt cultural this. shock or losing touch with your community. I yeah. don't hang out in my favorite town anymore because, well, you know, it's not that I left. It's that they just left, you know. It used to be a cool town, but they just they just left. And that's, a, you know, that domicile of feeling like you don't got a home with the people that you once had before. That really The sacredness you. that used to bind everyone together in yeah. a communal way has depreciated. And there's a lot of signaling of virtue rather than the exercise of virtue in our world today. It's a lot of people have been feeling this. Mm-hmm. I mean, you see it in the intensification of the tribalism in our country, the extreme takes from the left and the right now and the extreme judgments and stereotyping of the other side with super overgeneralizations that are often very cruel and they don't take account for the great variety between different individuals even within the so same group what would you call self uh, self-inflicted domicide you know because you got suicide when you kill yourself what is it when you burn down your own home Wow, you know, yeah, like what, that is what's like the a term for that? Domicide, well, isn't well it? sure, you know, like the constant othering of other people, and then yeah. drinking the Kool Aid, and you know, just because so and so thinks a certain way or voted well, for a certain person, well, now you're killing your home because they were your friends, your family, your community. Mm-hmm. You're doing it to yourself. Yeah, there's what's, a healthy side to, to our to our communalism, <laughs> to the way that we like to try and come together in tribes, but um, so, you can see where it turns on itself. So what Gertz saying so religion is a set of meta meeting um what would you call it um a meta meaningful he's saying one of the fun- functions of the sacred is that it's meta meaningful so religion okay. is a, is like a system of meta meaning and you have all different yeah. kinds of of systems that we utilize entertainment system was mm. one example that he gave he gave example of a bunch of different systems but there's actually a meta thing that underlies all of that that makes our the, individual interaction with systems possible the transjective relationship of agent arena that's, that's right that's, yes yeah, it's that's all dependent on that transjective relationship yeah. between our agent and the arena that we're involved in so, so sacredness homing us against the horrors of domicide through a set of psychotechnologies yes and this is homing us against and when we say domicide once again we're talking about that sense of alienation absurdity and anxiety those Mm -hmm. are three great great adjectives to describe the experience of domicide and so many of us are experiencing this right now today no matter what side of the spectrum you're on we're experiencing that alienation absurdity and anxiety so there's the worldview attunement that is related to these sets of psychotechnologies that help you create attenuate your worldview um Mm -hmm. i won't say necessarily like change or alter but attenuate it yes in Um, in a way that is meaningful and we we do find there's a reliable finding in many studies that the religio or religious practice for people does help protect them against the alienation mm -hmm. absurdity and anxiety of life but sacredness can't be cannot be fully explained just by worldview attunement that's right yeah criticisms criticisms of Gertz that Verveke brings up saying that okay this is all it's possible that these are necessary features but this is not a sufficient list mm-hmm. and he, he points out how Gnosticism was trying to awaken us to mystery and the primordiality yeah. uh, of the sacred the fundamental fundamentality of the sacred and it's also trying to overturn the grammar of a worldview in a transgressive sense so 
we we now get to Otto and his writing on the experience of the numinous. Yeah, pointing out let's get, let's work on the word numinous rather than holy because holy is yeah. kind of like a feature list of things that come from a more fundamental. Yeah, because when you're talking about holy, are you talking about health? Are you talking about as a whole? Are you talking about mm-hmm. uh, you know the moral righteousness or the glory you, of, the, of the God? glory of God? Or like, are you talking about? Switch cheese. Right. And well, when we were know. talking about the word awe, we were noticing yeah. that it has two sides. It's got this yeah. beautiful, enlivening, revitalizing sense of it that's very uplifting and gives you a sense of oneness and all this beautiful stuff. And you've got the awe of when you Awful. see the, the <laughs> when you look at a, a absolutely beautiful mushroom cloud from a nuclear explosion, you go, Oh, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's yeah. awesome and a terrifying. Way. Yeah, well, you know, um, what was it, Gladriel from Lord of the Rings when she was, you know, oh, going on her yeah. spiel? Like one of the things is she referred to herself as awful. Yeah, I don't think they did it in the movie, but in the books, I remember seeing it as awful, and it's like, well, she's the most beautiful, but how could she be awful? Well, her might leaves you in awe, but is also terrible. Uh, terrible. Uh, yeah. uh, terrible was a word she used as well. That's go. what it, that's what yeah. it was. It was terrible, which yeah. leads to awful, which leaves you in awe. Reminds again of the Old Testament God. Yeah, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. Now I wouldn't call God awful. No, um, but it definitely but had a terrifying side to it. We especially in we the are awful when we realize the right you know the righteousness of God coming down on us and judging us. We're full of awe, going, "Oh no!" Yeah, yeah for sure, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. And and like you said with the mushroom cloud, a hurricane can even a storm can be beautiful but terrifying at once. Mm-hmm. And so I, the numinous, yeah, the numinous. To describe that primordial experience that is fundamentally transgressive. And I guess we'll talk more on the numinous because he didn't go super deep. I'm glad he didn't because I'm running. I'm, I need to get a new notebook. I'm I got I got some left, but I'm getting low on this one too, man. Been changing my note style, which seems to work a lot better for my weird chaotic. Well, brain. following the diagrams that he puts up on the board is really helpful, and I, I picked that up from you, and I was doing a lot of, more of that today, and it's been helping me too. I just need bigger paper so I can yes. write on the margins all the stuff he's talking about. I know, right? The, yeah. Same, dude. I know. I mean, this is this is wild. Like, what is happening here? You can't even see that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's wildness. <laughs> yeah. It's, That's all I got to say about it. You can't see that either. Look, white paper. We're not actually <laughs> taking notes. <laughs> Let me see that. Yours, yours looks freaking awesome. But this is even. Let's, let's get down with the wild. How are we looking? Uh, like it's a bunch of scribbles from a serial killer in prison. <laughs> 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 you know. Uh, At least for Vakey's handwriting is about on level with our own. So yeah, I'm, I was I'm about okay. to say he's got some bad handwriting. I have to like zoom in on my phone, and I'm like, you know, is that an L? Is that an R? Is that an T-I-O-N? What is that? I like that whoever's helping him produce, whoever helped him produce the series uh, did a good job of any words that you're really too small to put it up on the screen for a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Problem formulation or whatever the term is. That was an amazing episode, and it's just going to get deeper from here, guys. Now we're diving into the spiritual end of things, and what Vicky's doing is he's not because he's a strict secularist and that he has a particular issue with religion so much as it might seem like what he's literally trying to do is secularize come up with a secular explanation for the sense of the sacred that we have arguments for enriching this capacity within ourselves 
in a secular frame so that we can continue to remarry science and spirituality once again. Well, just making, you know, just preaching propositions of faith at people yeah, isn't gets, going to help Get past anybody. just supernatural claims of you just have to believe, have faith. Yeah, this well, is a misunderstanding of the word, word faith, first off. In yeah. ancient Hebrew, it means faithfulness yeah. as to a partner or a way of being. And the original followers of Christ were followers of the way. Yeah, and I would, I would say this, you know, we idea... We meet a of, lot of Christians that aren't good followers of the way. Uh, you uh, know, it's... I would say this idea of, you know, just have faith, you know, is a very uh, Lutheran mm. view of, you know, we are scum, just open yourself up and have faith, and maybe you'll be lucky enough for God to lower himself into you, a hollow, despicable vessel. Yeah, and it's not supposed to be yeah, that. It's not you know. supposed to be that. It just means that we are not perfect, and we will fall short sometimes. We will miss the mark sometimes, yeah. but what we have to contrast that with is that this in in religious terms this thing that people call god at least in the hebrew religions is something that also is full of infinite merciful love sure ahava hesed well so with faith too so there's faithfulness um infinite but, forgiveness but then there's also so faith say like in like the christian sense faith well actually in any sense faith has a component of doubt mm -hmm. and keep going even though you have the kernel of doubt. Right. Yeah. Um, so it's, you know, it's, you know, that you, you can, you can't really necessarily have like, Oh, well you got faith in the most reliable thing. And you can see that it's reliable. That's not faith. That's just knowing that's reliable. Faith is like, I have faith in my little crappy car that it's going to get me to the next city before it runs out of gas. Yeah, I have faith right. in you, little car. You can do it. Let's do it together. Uh, I, I know that's a little bit of a stupid example, but still, like, you know, faith has it's a component of doubt. Like, you know, I had faith in the fact that, you know, like when you're like, hey, we need to do this this podcast. I had faith in the beginning that it's like, okay, well, I'll, I'll definitely get something out of it. I, you know, might not. It might just be a drudge. It might be whatever, but I had faith. I have faith in you and the fact that you're not going to lead me yes. astray in this. So it's like, okay, got my little bit of doubt, but we're going to, we're going to push through. And I'm glad I did because, you know, here we are doing the thing, uh, learning awesome. the things, making my brain hurt. Well, brain hurt, but in the exercise end. So, you know, yes. I have faith. I'll get a little bit smarter after this. I have some doubts though. Cause I'm an idiot in a lot of ways. Um, <laughs> we all are guys you know we're, we all got our gifts and our strengths and we all have our weaknesses and we're here to help fill those gaps for each other you know that's why we're all so different it's beautiful the way that we can fit together and help each other pick up pick off where we left off that's it and we can home ourselves i like that we can I, home ourselves i I, yeah. I like how he's turned it into a verb yeah. Well, maybe not for vague, turn it that, into verb, but and that whatever, reality but it, will home itself yeah, around yeah. us too when we engage with it in this way. Yeah, and it's, it's funny we we do that even with like inanimate objects, you know. Yeah, this little thing. It up. Oh, this is your home now. Yeah, yeah, we do. Don't <laughs> it's we? Like we home things. Yeah, uh, we home. There's some kind of Russian kittens, doll happening. Yeah, yeah Russian doll yeah. thing happening with the cosmos here, yeah. and there is something ultimately that does transcend us, and it's an impossible mystery, and. No matter how far we travel, we're never going to get to the end of solving that mystery because it's a phenomenological it can't mystery. Be, it can't be said, stated. It can only that be it experienced can only... and danced with. Yep, and pointed and at. With. And yeah. Dance around it. Because it's like it's on an it. infinite growth trajectory. So that transcendence trajectory that we're on is what a profound thing. What, what a beautiful thing that we get to be involved in it. And, and I love this idea. You know, it's 
it's it's not just mere belief, faith, and the supernatural. It's a faithfulness to a higher ideal. And when when I when I brought up that idea that this I, this thing that we're calling God is supposed to be infinite, infinitely forgiving, we're giving ourselves a transcendent idea of love with statements yeah. like that, so that we understand that there's infinite room to grow more loving for us as human beings because there's this example that is ultimately transcendent that yeah. we'll never finish getting to, getting to, but we're always going to get better at loving the closer yeah. that we get to this unconditional nature of love that seems to be mm-hmm. fundamental to our universe. In my mind, perfection isn't the goal. It's, it, it's, it's not perfection, but... Mm-hmm. Um, transcendence is the word that we've been using a lot but it's it's making better you can't make it perfect but you can always make it a little better yeah. and it's like communion communion with reality seems part of the point yeah you know engaging with and and coming into that communal serious play with sacredness seems to be the greatest guard against the anxiety the absurdity the alienation of our lives yeah, especially particularly in times like this where the experience of domicide is so far and wide. Yeah. Well, we love you guys. This has been an awesome episode, and look forward to next episodes. It's just going to get better from here, and we're on the uh, downhill slope now. We only have like, you know, thirty four, sixteen episodes left. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to need a new. Thing, I started. I started. I, out, I started out this notebook on episode twenty, and let's see. I've got. Oh goodness! So that's twenty to thirty-three. That's thirteen. I'm getting more. And, yeah, I'm gonna. I'm, I'm gonna need more notebooks book. out of this lecture series than any classes that I took in college. Uh, yeah. Well, there's a reason why I didn't go to you know institutionalized education because you know it's just like. It can be pretty hit or miss nowadays. It, you, you'll sometimes luck out with really good professors, and I did. And and you know, I ha- highly recommend you guys check out your local community colleges. Sometimes they're going to be much better than you think. Oftentimes they're not quite as taken over by nefarious interests either. And the professors have a little bit more freedom and leeway. I met a couple of amazing uh, professors at my local community college, and I think that. I got a better experience there than I would have at one of our closer local so universities. So you're trying to say that there's less Gnostic cultists out there <laughs> in the community college? To, to a degree, you know, the infestation is spreading quickly, but... Yeah, I've stopped using the W word. I've started calling them Gnostic cultists, because that's actually what woke means. Mm, there you, know, you go. I, I'm awakened. I have this gnosis. Mm-hmm. And then, well, you're in this weird, obscene death cult. Yeah, just don't uh, be woke. Don't don't be just woke, guys. Let's be awakening. 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 Always. Yes. It's a verb. It's an ongoing process. It's a constant recalibration. You're going to find out that you're wrong about things. But if you're okay with finding out, if you care most about what is true and right and good for one and all, then it doesn't matter how many times one is individually wrong. In fact, you can get excited and happy when you find out, oh, I was wrong about that. I just learned something new. I just upgraded. Yeah. Now I can see more, a little bit more widely. Yeah. of a perspective and i can well, understand more people why well. why limit yourself with just one kind of knowing and then think you have it all you right because usually like the modern yeah. the modern end of knowing is just like experience knowing like my ex- life experience knowing but there's 
Well, there's a lot of different types of knowing within your experience. Are you talking about like, you know, like your perspective experience? Or are you talking about Actual. the experience of you participating in something? Yeah, or are you or... talking about now is this nested within the having mode or within the being mode? Like where are you coming from? There, Yeah, yeah. It, there's, it's not a stopping point. Everything is constantly in and out and then growing, growing out and then collapsing again and then growing out again. You know, mm -hmm. the just stopping is the worst thing you can. Well, you know, that's yeah, you don't want to freeze that relevance realization process. You don't want to get too convinced or too certain. Oh, certainty it? is a dangerous thing rather than having any complete 100% certainty about anything. Just have scales, levels of certainty about different subjects and always leave them open to reinterpretation and new information. Yeah. Um, How so, else are we are we going to navigate through all of the BS that is around us today? Because it's on both sides. It's on. It's not just on the side that you disagree with. That's a hard thing for people to swallow, and that's where our egos get in the way. We get identified and attached to our ideas, but we are not just our ideas. Should, we have ideas. Who is the who that has the idea, guys? So practice disagreeing with yourself. Yeah. Yeah, you know, devil's advocate just doesn't work. Yeah. Just with and having meaningful disagreement, others, but, like even you know. like DJ and I in the beginning of this episode, we were trying, we were disagreeing because it literally came just down to what, what do you mean by your term when you say this? What what, yeah. what do I mean? And but we did that without any animosity or personal feelings, and we worked through it, and we figured out what we each other were talking about, and that's yeah. that's it. That's what we got to do with one and another. Kind of friends, came, family came up. Check this guy out. Yeah, he wants to be a star. We got to. Oh, there he is. See, yeah, there he goes. Hey. Woo! Yeah. Well, dude. Give okay. the Beatles some thumbs up, guys. <laughs> <laughs> there he goes. Yeah, he's feeling. He's ascending. <laughs> he's ascending. Oh, uh, well, he's, uh, yeah, he went to the transcendent realms and he came back to tell us about it. Oh, boy. Before we get stuck playing with a bug. Oh, boy. You're supposed to be outside, dude. Yeah, let's let this little guy out. And uh, we're going to let you all go. Yeah. Once again, we love you guys. And we will see you next time. Meow.